That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Gonzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Gonzano's Bald Face Truth. Built by high caliber millwrights. In for John Canzano. Here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the Bald Face Truth. That's right. Welcome in. Happy Friday. Bald Face Truth, Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn. And you at 503 417 7575. Beautiful, beautiful day outside today in the final true shopping weekend before uh, the Christmas season. Look across the glass, see Stephen Vaughn. What's up, Stephen? How you doing today? It's going good, Judah. I will say it is so nice. It's blinding in the with the eyes in yeah, the studio. You get the uh, special blessing running the board. It's almost too nice. The way that we're oriented here in downtown Portland, uh, you're looking through the blinds. Your blinds are down, but the sun still just slaps you right upside the head. I mean, I'm looking directly at, you. directly at the sun through the blinds, and it is blinded. But I tell you what, I'd much rather have it that than rain, for sure. This yeah. is a lovely day out. Yeah, you're right. This is, like, officially the last day before, like, the real ramp-up, right? Like, we're, we're ramping up. Like, this is the final take before we take off. So I, I don't want to, you know, overwhelm people too much, but if you haven't gotten your shopping fully done, you know, let's go. Let's go. Let's giddy up. And by the way, I'm talking to myself a little bit. With that urgency. 503-417-7575. Steven, you were at the Blazer game last night. I want to talk about that because both of us were laying Blazers four and a half. And what in the heck happened? Uh, A lot of Beaver news. Some Duck news as well. Looks like Bucky Irving is going to play in the uh, Fiesta Bowl. I didn't see that coming. So what does that mean for Oregon and uh, in their pursuit of liberty and all things happiness for the Oregon Ducks. Also, if you're going, I want to hear from you at 503-417-7575. doesn't sound like a lot of Duck fans are, A, excited about the matchup, B, trying to make their way down there to Arizona. Uh, Oregon's been to a number of these Fiesta Bowls, obviously, a number of bowl games uh, in in nice weather and good markets, just like the Holiday Bowl last year uh, that came after Christmas against North Carolina. That was a lot of fun, but I don't know. I'm not getting the same level of excitement or interest Obviously, it makes sense. Liberty's not an opponent you will get up for, get excited about. You're coming off one of the most um, disappointing losses in program history. I'll say that. I think the Washington loss was that. Uh, and if if you think about what could have been for the Oregon Ducks, uh, it, it certainly comes back to that game. But uh, I want to start with the Beavers, Stephen, because two pieces of news came down about an hour ago at the same time. Number one, A Supreme Court in the state of Washington rules in favor of Oregon State and Washington State by lifting the stay that they initially ruled in October. If you recall, the Beavers and Cougars uh, got a favorable ruling by the Whitman County Court uh, by uh, Judge uh, Gary Leiby, I think his name was. And uh, John wrote all about it at JohnKinsHonor.com. We were talking about it live on the air as it happened. Then the Washington State Supreme Court issued a stay of that ruling as it reviewed it. 
And then today it issued uh, another ruling on their stay, and they're lifting the stay. And so Washington State and Oregon State back in control of this thing with all the uh, legalese and litigation and all that. Like, everybody's calling it huge news. I'm right there with them. It's a big deal for the Beavers and the Cougs to be in control of the Pac-12, really two, moving forward. So these things take time, but it's a little bit of good news on a Friday afternoon for the Beavers and Beaver fans who – are looking at the transfer portal, looking at their new schedule that came out yesterday, Stephen, and now another piece of, of positive news to go into your weekend. Well, it's finally starting to come together, right? I mean, it's only taken, what, two years, it seems like? I mean, how long has it been? But it seems like we're finally starting to get a resolution of what exactly is going to happen with Oregon State and Washington State and you know how that money goes about. And now we know their schedule, and you know now it's just like, what are they going to do going forward, right? We know what next year is going to look like. What's the year after that going to look like? We'll find out that later, but yeah, I mean, you, you if you're Oregon State right now, you're feeling good about that uh, that decision to keep the money with you guys because that's kind of the, that's the right decision, right? I mean, I think we all can agree on that. Like, whether you're an Oregon fan or you're a Washington fan or a USC fan, whatever it is, like, everyone got to bail on the Pac-12 and for fairness, they, they should have bailed on the Pac-12. The Pac-12 was showing them no reason to stay. I don't blame any of the schools for leaving, but the Oregon State and Washington State get left behind and nobody wants them, they're still technically part of the Pac-12. It's the Pac-2 now. They're the only two members left. So, you know, I, I think it's good for Oregon State. Now they have, you know, they should have a little bit of cash, figure out what they're going to do next, go forward. But, yeah, I mean, the schedule's come out and, uh, you know, some, you know, hopefully, you know, on the field now can uh, match the, uh, the, the so-called investment that they're going to put into this program going forward because that's the ultimate goal, right, Judah? I mean, I mean, and I don't know this for sure, but I feel like there's going to be more conference realignment at some point. And if you're going to stay, just stay afloat, stay relevant, stay in the top 25. You know, try to stay, you know, somewhere around there. Maybe compete for, you know, a uh, college football playoff spot when it expands to 12. Maybe some conference is going to want you. Maybe it's the Big Ten. Maybe it's the you know ACC or you know Big 12. Whatever it is, I think one of those conferences could go out and say, "Hey, we need a team like Oregon State. They're a good program." So, good news for Oregon State: stay relevant, stay afloat, and do what you can. Four hundred million dollars, you know, with with the pack two, not not terrible. That's that's uh, not terrible at all. All of a sudden, Jake Dickert's like, "Hey, we can compete in NIL <laughs> with the best of them. We could actually do this thing." Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a big win, some positive note. Then on top of that, Stephen, at the same time, I got uh, something in my inbox from a statement from Scott Barnes, who says that Damian Martinez, who was once suspended basically for the Sun Bowl, ineligible to play, they're basically saying. He will play in the Sun Bowl. He is eligible to play in the Sun Bowl, at least. Uh, If you remember, uh, Damian Martinez was arrested uh, a few weeks ago uh, on uh, suspicion for DUII, driving under the influence of intoxicants, 19 years old. um, But the district attorney's office in Benton County uh, is not pressing any charges. And because of that, Scott Barnes says, all right, no charges are, are being pressed. Uh, then he'll be allowed to participate in the upcoming bowl game. I didn't see that coming, Stephen. I, frankly, I mean, I guess it's good news for the Beavers for their chances of you know competing on the field with Notre Dame. Uh, because if Damien was not going to play, like, yeah, I, I was thinking Notre Dame was going to win this game even with a backup quarterback and and maybe win going away. I was going to play Irish in the spread, which was around seven and a half. But this gives me a little bit more optimism in Oregon State's. You know, chances to compete with Notre Dame on the field in the Sun Bowl, December 29th. Yeah, I mean, surprising decision because it was announced, I mean, right away. It's, it was announced, yeah, he's not going to play, you know, and I think we all understood, like, all right, it, 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 as the bowl games have gone down, 
in popularity and how people just don't necessarily care about him as much. It made sense, right? Don't play Damian Martinez. Keep him happy. Keep him ready for next season. But no, I mean, like you said, Scott Barnes says, no, nah, he's playing. And, and I think if you're Oregon State, that's something that you, you know, you're going to be excited about because you lose Gold Branson, or I mean, not lose Gold Branson, but Gold Branson just started quarterback now with Childs and Ubi Ungulale gone. Anthony Gold's not playing. Jack Valley's not playing. Uh, you know, you got the guys of the defense, the uh, linebacker, blanking on the name right now. Uh, Mascarenas, Mascarenas, Arnold, yeah. Arnold, Arnold's gone. Like all these guys are gone, and so it was just one of those things. The kicker, the kicker into the transfer portal. So like Atticus, Atticus. Like I mean, they're, the Oregon State I was losing a lot of players. So to get Damian Martinez back, who is the best player out of all of them, like you get him back. You know, Notre Dame, solid team, but maybe it gives the Beavers a chance. I don't know. I, yeah, I feel good I, about I want to see who is playing on the offensive line because that's the other thing with the Beavers. It wasn't just that Martinez is great; it's that whole unit, that whole operation is among the best in the country that was overseen by Jim Michalczyk, the uh, O-line coach, run game coordinator, and he's obviously gone. He's with Jonathan Smith at Michigan State. So, uh, But, you know, if Tylee's Fuaga still plays, if Gray still plays, if Levengood plays, uh, you know, Jonah Miller still plays, I mean, if, if most of that offensive line unit is intact, I'd like to see it compete against Notre Dame. Notre Dame, who I'd have to dig into the numbers, but I think they're pretty solid defensively. Uh, Marcus Freeman, a defensive guy, and up front, they've competed with some teams that like to run the football and, and own the trenches, like in Ohio State, for instance. They competed well with them in South Bend earlier in the season. I still think it's a tough fight for the Beavers. I like Notre Dame to win still at this point. Um, but it is a, a nice dose of optimism, I think, for Oregon State. And just those two things coming out at the same time, Martinez playing in the Sun Bowl and the Beavers in Washington State getting control officially of the $400 million of the Pac-12, it's like, all right, here's a little Friday Beaver uh, love for you. And Lord knows you've been through enough in 2023. And I'm, you know, I'm be, I like to be a skeptic of everything. So do I fully believe Damian Martinez is going to be in Corvallis next season? Yeah, but I can't guarantee it. I mean, anything could happen, right? Something right. could happen. He says, I'm in the pool If we've learned anything, don't, it's you don't yeah. trust anybody don't and trust. don't hold it against 19-year-olds and 18-year-olds when they post things on social media and uh, and then say, you know, I'm actually not going to return to school or, or something like that. I don't hold it against Damian Martinez. Now, I I, I want to believe him, but I'm yeah. with you at the same time. You can't hold it to him 100%. And that's my thing. Like, I, I fully believe him. I think he'll be back in Corvallis. And so for him to play in this game, like, you look at, you know, how Abe Childs leaves and goes to Michigan State. Now, you know, Childs and Smith are kind of the face of Spartan football. Like, that that's kind of their building block. Damian Martinez is the building block of Oregon State. And so I think, like, even though, like, yeah, the bowl games don't necessarily matter if the Beavers lose to Notre Dame. Not a big deal going to the offseason. But it's like you got your, you know, the face of the pr- franchise, the face of the program. It's Damian Martinez. That's your guy. That's the guy who's the first team all Pac-12. He's your man going forward. You're going to have him back. I think it's just, you know, it, it's just an energy boost that you can get, I think, going in to that bowl game, going to the offseason, get going momentum, heading to the transfer portal, you know, try to get some guys out of there and, you know, build going forward because that's the whole thing, Jude, is they got to just stay afloat. And, yeah. and it's hard. It's hard because people are pulling them down. They're, you know, trying to float back up to the top, and people are pulling them down. Sharks are pulling them down. And they got to stay afloat. They got to stay alive. And then hopefully something can break their way. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know if they're going to do it. But that's the only option they really got. Yeah, and I think the urgency is just a little less now that they got, you know, part of that $400 million. It feels like you win the, the lottery because I see that $400 million, I'm like, ah, Oregon State got the $400 million. Well, you got to have to find a way to, uh, you know, figure this out with Washington State, right? There's no going to be – there's not going to be any uh, tension between uh, Pullman and Corvallis with this $400 million, right? Like, uh, it's going to be split 
baby's going to be split down the middle? I think so. Right? <laughs> I mean, I, I want to believe. Kirk. Uh, Maybe the winner, the, the winner of the game. The winner of the game gets, you know, 250. The other one gets 150. Uh, there you go. I'd like to have a little. That's a lot of money. It's right, 225. Even for, for DraftKings uh, experts like us. That's, <laughs> uh, that's a chunk of change. Uh, Dan Landing also talked a little bit today. Uh, about the Ducks matchup with Liberty. He says that Bucky Irving is going to play in this football game, which uh, is a bit of a surprise. So Bo Nix, who himself was a bit of a surprise playing in this Fiesta Bowl with Liberty. Then Bucky Irving, obviously the star running back, who apart from the last game against UW, uh, had a heck of a season and was one of the main reasons why Oregon's offense was so prolific. He says he's going to go to the NFL draft, but before he does... He's playing in this finale uh, against Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl. How surprised were you, Stephen, to see that news? Very surprised. Um, and it's not just because, you know, it's, it's just be, I feel like it is just because he he's going to go to the NFL. Like, anybody that goes to the transfer portal, anybody that declares the NFL, I just assume they're out of the bowl game. So I, I think it's going to be fun to see Bucky Irving go one more time. I was surprised Bo Nix is coming back, but you know what? He's out of it. He's like, yeah, I want to play. And I think that is a testament to Dan Lanning. Now, you can say what you want about Coach Lanning on the field, X's and O's wise, you know, losing to Washington three straight times. There are criticisms, but there is one thing that he can do, and that's motivate his players, and that's get players to buy into his program. And I think this this says a lot about that, Judah, to have a guy like Bucky Irving who plays the running back position. You know, the whole knock on the running back is, well, don't take as many hits because that you know, career is going to be shortened. He wants to go out there one more time. He yeah. wants to go out there and play with, play against Liberty, play with his guys, play in the bowl game, you know, celebrate the season that the Ducks had, which was a successful season, even though they didn't make cultural playoff. I mean, 11 wins, that's a heck of a season. I think it says a lot about Dan Lanning as a coach, that these guys want to suit up for him, want to play for him. And I think it's fun. You know, I love Bucky Irving. I love the way he plays. I love Bo Nix, the way he plays. So it'll be fun to see him play one more time. But it does go to this. You know, Judah, uh, you know John was saying how the Ducks, you know, if they lose this game, I mean, it's just going to be an embarrassment. And I'm like, you know, it's not a big deal. It's a bowl game. Do people actually care? If they lose now, it's an embarrassment now. It, it, it goes in that category. With these guys coming back, with these guys playing, if they do lose this game to Liberty, man, I think there's some real questions you're going to have to ask yourself about Dan Laney on, uh, on his coaching side. Well, you know, when you say embarrassment uh, in, in Oregon, boy, that uh, that just gives me a little PTSD. Tell yeah. me, am I crazy for picking Oregon? I think Oregon's the better team. I think no. they're a more complete team. No, I just told you. I think it's going to be an embarrassment if Oregon loses the game. And you just said why. They're they're a, they're a way more complete football team. I mean, John, everything that Washington does well, Oregon has an answer for. UW number one in total offense. Okay, fine. Oregon's number six in total defense. UW number one in passing offense. Okay, fine. Oregon's number five in passing defense. Uh, how about UW number six in sacks allowed in the country? Okay, fine. Oregon's defense is tied for eighth. With 18. Everything UW does well, Oregon has a response. Everything UW does weak, Oregon is good at. Washington, number 62 in total D. Oregon, number two in total offense. UW, 102nd in rush uh, offense. Oregon is 20th in run defense. The Huskies cannot get after the quarterback. Oregon does a great job of protecting the quarterback. This would be an absolute embarrassment. Embarrassment. For Dan Lanning in Oregon to lose this game to Washington because on paper they are better in every single category. You don't get UW now. you got to wonder as an Oregon fan if Dan Lanning can ever get it done. Well, the sad part was that was ahead of the first meeting with Washington before Oregon lost to them again in the Pac-12 title game in Vegas as a 9.5-point favorite. 
But when you say embarrassment, I would have to agree with you, Stephen. If they lose to Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl, that would absolutely be an embarrassment. Are you kidding me? They can't lose to this team. And yet, and yet, I don't think they will lose. Let me be absolutely clear. I don't think they'll lose. You're not going to be put, not, putting, all your, putting the mortgage on Liberty right now? Dan Lanning will get out there and suit up himself before Oregon loses this game. Now, got, I, now I hope it's a close game, so he, he tries to do that. But, hey, Lanning has said he likes to get out there and practice with the guys, so he's ready to go. What is he, only 36, 37? He's got a couple plays in him. Plays young. Who's more likely? Who, who would be a better player right now, Trent Bray or Dan Lanning? You put him on the field. Dan. I'd go Trent. No, nah, Trent, Trent's legs are shot. I think he said as much. He said he could give, like, one play. Yeah, he said he could give, like, one play. (laughs) But we do know about Trent. It was his smarts that always got him him by at linebacker for Oregon State, now the Oregon State head coach. That being said, Stephen, I don't know. You you watch Liberty. I know you had a ticket fading Liberty in their conference championship game. I know this. Um, What do you think? Is there any vulnerability to Oregon in this game, even with the day's news that Bucky Irving's going to play and obviously Bo Nix? No, I don't think that there's really any shot for Liberty to win. The one thing that Liberty has is a really good coach. And Jamie Chadwell is the head coach at Liberty. He used to coach at Coastal Carolina when Coastal had that, you know, couple year run with Grayson McCall and you know they are ranked, you know, what, top ten probably when they were undefeated, they beat BYU. That's the head coach at Liberty. They do invest in their programs. Like, you know, John talked about that. They they invest and there's a lot of money at the at that school for the basketball team it was a really good basketball team. The football team, really good football team. I just you look at this Liberty team, they've played absolutely nobody, and they've had some you know, relatively close games when they play teams. You know, they played New Mexico State in the uh, in the championship game. New Mexico State, who beat Auburn, who should have beat Alabama. So, number one. So, number one, you know, New Mexico State. That's right. So Jerry, saying, Jerry Kill, like, the Jerry Kills. Transit, is he the coach there? He's the head coach at New Mexico State, yeah. Oh. But their quarterback got hurt, What's backup up, quarterback, and they still you know covered the game. Like, I, I just don't see a, a scenario where if Oregon doesn't show up even a little bit, that they're not going to win this game. They're going to yeah, have okay. the talent counter, all over the field. Counterpoint. What if they show up flat? Because it turns out Oregon sometimes shows up flat in games I, I, that they shouldn't. I don't think it matters. I don't think it should matter. They go that, down 14 nothing in the blink of an eye. You don't think that's possible? And I know I'm playing devil's advocate here, but surprising things happen in football, well, I, and especially bowl games. You don't think that Liberty gets the ball first, boom, they go down and score, and, oh, look, fumbled snap or, you know, a little miscommunication. or what, hey, Exactly what happened in the Pac-12 title game. Hits the umpire, and all of a sudden you're punting, and, oh, it's a big return, and Liberty has it at the 50, and a few plays later it's 14 nothing because guess what? Liberty plays good offense. You don't have Kyrie Jackson. You might not have Jordan Birch in this game. Oh, look. I know I, I'm. I obviously think Oregon's going to be fine in this game, but we we got to be honest with ourselves. There's versions of this that get a little hairy for the Ducks, especially when we talk about who actually wants to be there. And you know, Liberty wants to be there. I'm not sure Oregon knows whether or not it wants to be there. I want to believe in the Dan Landing ethos and everything that he's building there and the culture, and they're taking this seriously and everything. Bucky plan, Bo plan. But I don't know, man. There's little parts of me that wonder if this is going to be a little bit of a tougher, especially depending on the way the game starts. If Liberty gets out fast, 10 nothing, 14 nothing, I think we'll actually have a game on our hands. Well, let me ask you, if that does happen, Judah, do you think does it make you think differently about the program, about the Oregon program so or Dan that, Lanning? It's a great other topic. What the hell did we make of bowl games? 
Because we say, hey, 10-win season this. Like, I almost want to throw out bowl victories and bowl losses. This is It's a different program than the one that plays in, you know, 12 out of 13 weeks from September to Thanksgiving. Like, this is bowl, – bowl programs are almost different programs than regular season programs to me. Like, that's how I think about it. That's why, you know, you beat Drake May last year in the Holiday Bowl by a point. Getting like it, it was a great game, an unbelievable game. But there were insane amount of opt-outs on Carolina, and there were opt-outs on Oregon. I get it. It's not reflective of the state of the program. Does it give you a little bit of a good vibe going forward? Does it mean, oh, Dan Landing won 10 games in his first? Dude, I'm so sick of the 10-game benchmark. I can't tell you how overrated that is in my head. Oh, he won 10 games his first year. Well, yeah, but the games he lost were literally the most important games on the schedule. So why should we celebrate 10 games in your first year? Other than it's a very soft reinforcement point that things are okay. That's all it is. But to hang it up and put it in the banner in the rafters, like, 10-win season, baby, let's go. I'm not about that, man. Like, that's that does really not that much for me. 11 wins is is cooler, but you still lost the two biggest games of the year. Is that unfair of me? I, I can't get there. You were a nine-and-a-half-point favorite in the biggest game of the year, and you showed up flat. How, well, does, how does that happen? So, no, I don't. This this Fiesta Bowl, it's nothing. It, it really isn't anything for me other than something else to watch on New Year's Day when, frankly, I'm more interested in the semifinals anyway. So Liberty comes out and wins, you're not even... No, that you, sucks. You don't even bat an eye. No, that, w- I, I will totally... That is... But, I mean, that I, does suck. And this goes... I mean, what, I will, this goes that, the thought that, of... That deserves criticism if Liberty actually wins the game. But if Oregon kind of struggles and wins... Not a big deal. Not a big deal. And if Oregon blows them out, not a big deal. It just goes to, like, what what's important. Is it championship or nothing? Championship or bust? Like, I don't, I, I don't know that Oregon is necessarily... Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think they're at that level yet where it's mm-hmm. championship or bust. I still think right. that they can have a good season at 11 and 1, 11 and 2 going into this bowl game where, you know, I, I think you look at a team like Alabama or Michigan, like that is, that's a program that is always championship or bust. And I, I just don't know that Oregon is necessarily at that moment yet, Judah, but it's one of those things where I, I do think, like, even if they were to lose this game, like, I, it's not going to affect my opinion on the team next season. Because you're right. It's a completely yeah. different team. It's an outlier. The bowl game team is a different roster than the regular season roster and going into next season. But it, it'd just be a little disappointing. I, but I don't think that they're – I don't think there's a chance where Oregon loses this game. Like, I really don't. They're, they're just way more talented. And I do think Dan Lanning, again, for all that we can criticize him for, he gets his teams motivated. So I think he can motivate those teams. When we come back, we'll take some of your calls at 503-417-7575. There's a line open for you. Uh, Any conclusions or any takeaways from Oregon's Fiesta Bowl on January 1st with Liberty, one way or the other? Will you be disappointed if they don't blow them out? Will you be very disappointed if they somehow struggle or, God forbid, lose the game? Also, Beaver fans, anybody going down to the Sun Bowl? I want to hear from you. Uh, Good news, Beaver Friday today. (laughs) Get control of the Pac-12 with the 400 mil. Damian Martinez playing in the Sun Bowl. Some good stuff there. Also, Steven went to the Blazer game last night. Uh, We were all convinced they were going to do just fine laying four and a half. That did not happen. we got to unpack that. Brandon Staley fired. I was pro Brandon Staley when he got hired. we got to talk about that and what it means for our guy Herbie going forward as well. A lot to get to on a Friday. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano here on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Cazzano on 750 The Game.
Well, I was the guy that had the uh, shade and sharp over 21 and a half last night. And I felt pretty good about it. And then I checked in the third quarter, he had zero points. So that's how that night went. Uh, we'll unpack some of that blazer struggle here in a moment. Welcome back to the Bald-Faced Truth. John is out. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for JC and you at 503-417-7575. Some of the headlines, Damian Martinez will play in the Sun Bowl, or at least he's eligible to play in the Sun Bowl, according to Scott Barnes. Uh, no charges from Benton County DA after uh, Martinez's arrest a couple of weeks ago. So he's good to play in the uh, Sun Bowl in El Paso on the 29th. Uh, meanwhile, Oregon State and Washington State once again, winners today uh, as the state Supreme Court in Washington has uh, ruled that uh, they will not review any further the case of the uh, the 10 departing Pac-12 schools against Oregon State and Washington State and that the Cougs and Beavers will, in fact, have control of the $400 million under the Pac-12 umbrella. So big win for the Beavers and Cougs there as well. Bucky Irving going to play in the Fiesta Bowl. At least he says that he wants to, according to Dan Landing. So that gives him Bucky Irving and Bo Nix against Liberty. So no sweat. It should be an easy cruise to victory. Or will it? That's what we were talking about at the end of the first segment. Taking some of your calls as well at 503-417-7575. Sam is in Vancouver, and he leads us off on this Friday. Hey, Sam, how you doing? Good. How are you guys? Good. What's on your mind? All right, so I got to say, um, I think it was Steven that was saying about the 10-win season. I mean, I think like 20, 25 years ago, that 10-win season for Oregon or even Oregon State was like a shot in the dark. But once that started happening, you know, we ran off the 11-win season, 12-win seasons and all that as an Oregon fan. Um, and I think that that 10-win season goal really is kind of reserved for like I mean, no offense, but, like, to the Oregon States, Washington States, Arizonas, you you know, Cal's and, and those right now, the old Pac-12. Um, but I just and, – and it would be a complete embarrassment if the Ducks lost. I don't see it, but, again, it's just another – I'm a, like I said, diehard Ducks fan. I was at the pick game, uh, 17 rows up, uh, you know. Mm. But uh, – those are exciting moments right now. It's just, I think our ceiling's really high and just the way that they did play against those good teams. I mean, come on, man. You got to beat those great teams. So, so Sam, it, so are the expectations for next season, college football playoff or bust? Like, is that, like that's the expectations? If it, if they don't get to the college football playoff, the top 12, it's a terrible season? So for me, I, uh, as, uh, I think that we are still a couple years away from competing against the Ohio State's the Michigans and all that right now. So, I, I mean, I think, you know, possibly getting a spot next year, yeah, but it, it's going to be tough because still Washington's going to still be there and, and USC's still going to be there and Penn State and who knows how we're going to play against Maryland in Maryland or, or in these, you know, who, who's going to say we're going to beat Penn State when they're doing the whiteout? I mean, I, I just I think we're a couple years away from being at that level right now we got to beat Ohio State more often than just twice in the last 100 years of whatever school. <laughs> Appreciate the call. Opens the line at 503-417-7575. Ohio State's tricky because I, I, I don't even put Ohio State on the same plane as Michigan anymore um, just with the way that head-to-head is gone and the fact that Oregon actually, you know, obviously beat the Buckeyes in their building in week two of the 2021 season as a two-touchdown underdog. Went in there and ripped out a victory. Thank you. Please and thank you. And uh, really put Oregon 
back on the national map, by the way, a Mario win. Um, what has Dan Lanning's biggest win been so far, Stephen? I was actually thinking about that the other day. Um, biggest victory for Dan Lanning at Utah? At Utah this year, you know, because I mean, that was a versus Colorado. Yeah, <laughs> Portland State Holiday 82. Bowl eighty one. Uh, I would, I mean, probably the Utah game at Utah because that was you know college game day was there, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, they were. They, they were, were there. there. Like that was the game, and they, they were coming off. They had already beaten USC earlier. You know, Bryson Barnes, the pig farmer, and it was the it was. I mean, it was a domination the entire game. I mean, Oregon was in, in control of that game the entire one. I, maybe that one, I would guess. Yeah. I, it's tough Texas to say. Tech is still comes like Texas Tech. That was a tough, tough game at the time. And it's one of those pivot point games where the team that wins that game in all likelihood is going to be on a more positive trajectory and believe in themselves and, you know, the self-actualization and everything that comes out of a big road win like that, especially with the defensive touchdown. Texas Tech disappointed this year, uh, fair to say. They were one of the sneaky teams in the Big 12 and did not really play all that well. I think they have Cal in the bowl game, which is interesting. Um, but I would, I still think that Texas Tech road game in week two, that was just tricky enough of a spot to where that's an impressive victory. But again, the defense was okay in that game, and that's kind of Dan Lanning and Tosh's calling card is trying to get this to be week in, week out, one of the stingiest defenses in the country. And I think they can get there, but they don't have the depth to be that right now. And the Washington game was, was case in point with that. A couple of key guys going out. And that really cost them. Like they, you know, it's definitely disappointing that they lose to Washington when they are that big of favorites. But at the same time, as a season overall, you go eleven and two, eleven and one in the regular season. I still think that's a positive season. It's like the worst eleven win season you can have, right? But like, I still but it's say, still 11 you know, wins. I'm going to look at it in a month or two after the bowl game and say, yeah, it was a really good season for Oregon. And yeah. I, I just I'm not ready yet to put the expectations of well Oregon needs to be in the CFP every single season like that's just not I don't think they're at that level yet. Okay, so okay. I, so every I, single year, but come on, four out of five years, top twelve. I mean they were they were top six this year for like six weeks in a row. Now the caveat with that is they had Bo Nix. But what, but like what's their what I mean I what's the expectations for Oregon every year? Is it to win eleven games? Is it to win ten games? Or is it to well we're be, starting a new era. We're starting a new era. The twelve team is a new era to me. I think so they, they need to be, be there every year. I think so. I think so. Top twelve team in the country? Is that unfair? I don't think. I mean, that's ambitious. But you're Oregon. You're going to the Big Ten for a reason. You hired Dan Lanning for a reason. You've got the best recruiting, the best marketing. You're putting up billboards in New York City and Dallas for crying out loud. Like you're getting Dylan Gabriel away from Oklahoma. For I like, there's no way that's less than two million. I mean, it's got to be probably three, maybe four. I I got no idea. Like, you got to sign NDAs before you even engage with some of these collectives. That's what I hear. I hear to even engage with these collectives, you got to sign NDAs if you're Dylan Gabriel or your agent. Like that's especially if you're a quarterback. Like that's that's to where that's the point that it's gotten. Like you've got the funding, you can compete in this new era of college football. That is evident. The only piece that's left is the performance and the wins. And with the expanded playoff, yeah, the schedule's going to get a little tougher, but the playoff's getting bigger. I mean, you don't think that Oregon brand can get into the top 12 every year? I mean, I guess that should be the expectation. I guess you're right. Like, the expectation should be that. It should be to get to the top 12 of the top 12 every single season. Um, I, I, I mean, just, no one's going to lose their job if they get right. there twice and then miss it the third year. But I'm you just, know I'm what just mean? Like, even about Alabama, Alabama's fallen short. 
But, you know, in the four-team playoff, they haven't gotten in. But I'm just thinking about it this season. Like, going 11-1 is a good season, but I feel like there's still a lot of Duck fans that it's, it, it was a— It's 11-2. and two. It was 11-2. and two. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. But then, yeah, I feel like, it was, you know, it's a lot of Duck fans would say it's a down season because they didn't win Pac-12. And it's just like, well, I get that, but at the same time, I'm going to yeah. look back at the season and say, yeah, it was a really good season. It was a really good season with a disappointing finish, right? I mean, they got 85% of the way there. They were within one score of getting to the college football playoff. Like, that's all it took. Like, I, it was one bad yeah. half that they played that, a football. That, look, that, them's the stakes. They played one bad half of football. <laughs> well, you shouldn't. <laughs> that's tough. <laughs> That'd be perfect. If you want to be a – that's what I don't understand. Like, yeah, that's true. They had a, they had a good season. You know, I wouldn't characterize it fully as a disappointing season. They had a good season, but the the hope that was valid was for greatness. And the expectations, and I think the expectations changed. when you have a great program. They changed mid-season, too. When it looked like Oregon was one of those teams, yeah, I think it was okay to be like, let's flip, our, let's flip it a little bit and say Oregon needs to make the CFP this well, year. Well, I'll be day. honest. I don't think Duck fans thought Washington was going to be that good either. That's true. A lot of people thought Washington was going to come back down to earth. Including me. Including myself a little bit. Like I was like, Washington, really? That's the team that's going to go undefeated in Pac-12 play for the first time in the history of this here conference. They're the ones that are going to run the table. And now here I am, you know, just uh, just a couple of uh, weeks later, thinking they're going to go to the national championship game. Like, if you ask me right now, I got them beating Texas, and the way that Penix is playing and the chemistry with the receivers, like, everybody in college football, you would think, oh, the way to win in college football, the way to take down the Giants is being able to run the football, play good defense. And even though Washington's run game is a little underrated, I would much rather have their style, the aerial attack, get the ball out to athletes, and let them do work. Get the ball out to NFL athletes and let them do work against collegiate secondaries. That's what the Huskies have, and that's what I think is going to help propel them into the national championship game. We can take your pick on that game, too, if you want, at 503-417-7575. Let's go back out to Vancouver, and Charlie's in Vancouver. Hey, Charlie. Dude, you guys, I love it, but, wow, you lose two games to an undefeated team. Remember that, an undefeated team. And your season goes to good instead of great. Yeah, it, it, it does for like me, for Ohio sure. State or yeah. some other Alabama or Georgia that is a prima donna that stink that way. And I don't think we should think that way. I think we should feel great when we get 11. We should get there about every other year uh, when, as far as win 11 or 12 games. But reality is, is you play in tough conferences, you're going to lose a game or two. Ask Ohio State. I mean, all they did was lose to Michigan. I don't know, man. I love you, but I think that's a little harsh. Well, I, and that's what I want to want to you know try to parse. I don't think it's harsh because if you are a great program, you have great expectations. That that comes with it. But is Oregon at that level yet? Like I, I think they are. I don't want to shy away from that. If I'm a Duck fan, like it's okay to say that it was a good season, not a great season. You you like lost twice said, to your biggest rival and gave them an entry to the college football playoff. How can that not hurt you deep in your duck soul? I, I'm what, not going to shy away from saying it goes from great to good because you lost twice to your biggest rival, including once when you were a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. Is Absolutely. It, is it, it just fresh? Is it just too fresh? Cause I it's think, been two weeks later. I feel like it's still a little fresh. Bowl games yeah. haven't even started. Judah. I think, I, like the caller said, Ohio State, I get it. They lose by three to Michigan. Right, they lost by three points to Michigan, undefeated team. They're out of the playoff. That's kind of disappointing. That's disappointing season because that's where they're at. 
I think Oregon losing to Washington by one score in two different games, I'm not going to say it's a disappointment. Like, it's just Dude, not. Oregon's they were not, nine and a half point favorites. Like, and you said at the time, I said at I the time, it was a fair line and that they would cover. I just think and we forget the ramifications of losing. That's what we do. We forget the ramifications of losing. And you say, oh, we just lost the game. Whereas if you had won the game, you would make all of these big conclusions about how great the program is. You can't have it both ways. There's seri- there's ramifications and conclusions about losing, too. It's just harder to think about and to accept. It's okay. It's totally all right. You can lose games. But you, all, you, you can't shy away from the reality of what losing specific games means. Losing to Washington is different than getting upset by Washington State, which, thankfully for Dan Lanning, hasn't happened yet. But that's the reality. I, and I, and it's, to me, it's totally fair to call it a good season, not a great season, because two biggest games, you didn't take care of business, and especially the Vegas game, because the Seattle game, obviously we knew that was great football all the way down to the end. You can argue fourth downs. You can argue Camden Lewis, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, you had to take care of business in Vegas. And, you, like, that's that's the stakes of being a great program. And I think that's okay. Yeah, and I think it's really fair to say, you know, like you asked earlier, what's Dan Lanning's biggest win? And we both kind of questioned, like, well, I don't really know what the biggest win is. And, and that is a knock on Dan Lanning that, you know, in the biggest games that he's had, they have not won. You know, they, they needed to beat Oregon State last season. Oregon State decided, we're not even going to throw the football. We're going to run the football every play. And we're going to beat you that way. And that it was in Seattle, the fourth down things. You know what? I'm not against the fourth downs. I thought they were all the right decision to go for on the fourth down every time. Didn't work out. And then this Vegas one, like, yeah, you, you need to win one of these games at some point. But Dan Lanning, being so young, being in his second season as a head coach, like the trajectory of the program, I'm not ready to call it a disappointment yet, Judah. Like, they oh, lost. it's not a disappointment. I didn't say that. I said it's a good season, not a, good, a great season. I'm not ready to say it's a good season. It was a great season. They were 11-1 and one in the regular season. They were one score away from getting to the college football playoff. One score. That's all they needed. Had the game been an extra two minutes, they would have got the ball back <laughs> and, and scored. Like They had one bad half in the biggest game, and that was it. And, it. and now it goes from a great season to a good season. I think that's just a little harsh right now. For the Oregon program, when Dan Lane is still, I mean, a those are the stakes, coach. man. It's your biggest rival, and they're going to the playoff. You, you, they, they beat you as a nine and a half point dog. I tell you what, fully intended to get to the playoff and possibly play for a national title. By the way, now they've been to the playoff more than you. I'm excited to see and what happens next season. They went through you to do it. Like that still has got to hurt you. I'm excited to see what happens next season. I'm very excited. I'm very excited to that, see like, what happens the, next season. Just to see where Oregon, because I a lot of it depends on the QB. We'll see what kind of guy D- Dylan G is. We got to find a nickname. Yeah, we got to get a we got to get yeah. a good one. But uh, because you know, ranking Oregon the program wise, like where they are in the echelon of college football teams, like I, I think they're towards the top, right? Like they, yeah. I don't know if they're top five or they're top ten. They're probably top ten, top fifteen, whatever it is. But now they're going to go up against the ones that you know are at the top: Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. Like those are the schools that have been around. They've been you know great programs for so long. You're going up against this historic programs. How do you fit? I think they'll be fine. But there's also a scenario where the Ducks go 8-4 and four or 9-3, and three, and we're thinking, man, maybe Oregon's not quite ready to be at that level. So I, you know, this gets me hyped for next season already, Judah, like the way we're talking about it. But I don't know. I just think right now Oregon's still – they're still learning. It was a you know, uh, it was an improvement over year one, I would say, with Dan Lanning. So for that, like I'm willing to give it a great season right now. Mm. Now, if this happens next season, they lose to Washington. They lose to USC. They're 8-4. and four. Yeah, that's going to be a bad season. But I think right now 
the way they are, year two, I'm still going to say it was a great season for the Ducks. Well, we stumbled across something here. Is it a great season or a good season for Oregon? You can chime in at 503-417-7575. Take some of your Twitter reaction as well. Bounce to break. Come back. Take more of your calls. Get to a big splash. Uh, talk a little Blazers as well. It's Judah and Steven. And for John Cazano on the Bold Face Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We'll do a little punch and audio in hour two. Welcome back to the Bald Face Truth. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Kidzano. Hope you all are enjoying a lovely December Friday out there here in uh, in the Valley. I used to have an old baseball coach, uh, my freshman year baseball coach uh, down in McMinnville. He would always say, beautiful day in the Valley. Beautiful day in the Valley. And I always got that ringing in my head, <laughs> you know, on the uh, 10 days a year that we could actually play baseball. Uh, turf fields, you know, turf infields at least. When we got a turf infield, that was a game changer. We could actually play ball most of the year, except for uh, the days where the outfield was too soaked to do anything about it. Uh, talking a little duckies, I'm saying that it was a good season, not a great season, because of the two losses to Washington. I'm getting pushed back from everywhere, but I'm I'm not moving off my spot. I'm like the quarterback getting heat in the pocket and just sitting there taking shots up the chin while gashing throws up the seam. That's what I do right now, Steven. Uh, but it's a good discussion. I appreciate it. And uh, callers have been good at 503-417-7575. You want to chime in on that, you can. Bucky Irving and Bo Nix will play in the Liberty uh, Bowl. Excuse me. Fiesta Bowl against Liberty. Uh, that would be fun. Playing in the Liberty Bowl against Fiesta University. Mm, I like that one. Yeah. Sounds like a party. If you know, if you know, you know. Uh, let's go out to Sandy. Sean's in Sandy. Hey, Sean. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, you guys. I want to say this is a, a a good season, but one of the worst ways to end it. But if we're going to end it like this, it's good that we ended against Washington, not like a little brother against like Oregon State or like a Johnny Come Lately, like Colorado or Utah. You know, this is a good rivalry, and and this is one of the best ways to end the Pac-12 final season. You guys, this is a great season, yeah. and it just. But losing two games against Big Brother like that, that was pretty tough. It is tough, man. That's the tough part. I will grant you, I think losing to Washington in the Pac-12 title is a better end-of-season feeling, even though that sucked, than losing to Oregon State on the road in uh, in Corvallis when you led by, you know, 31-13 to and let the Beavers with Benny G come all the way back without even throwing the football. Six for 13. Goal, goal Branson was in that game for the Beavers and uh, led him back to victory. Roman is in Salem, and uh, he wants to chime in. Hey, Roman. Hey there. I, a couple of things. Number one, I'm really surprised and disappointed that, uh, that Bo was such a distant third place in the Heisman. Hmm. Uh, but most importantly, I, I don't know if you have the answer to this, uh, how are the bowl game opponents picked and who does the picking? Well, a lot of it uh, comes down to to the Bulls extending invitations, but it's back scratching. Uh, it's all domino effect from who makes the playoff, and then you've got other New Year's Six allegiances 
uh, with the power conferences, for instance, uh, obviously the the ACC and uh, I guess in this case the SEC has the deal with the Orange Bowl in order to put Florida State uh, and Georgia together in that Orange Bowl. And uh, from what I understand, it was all the ACC's fault. So let's blame the ACC. Uh, they, you know, had, had to have Florida State go into the Orange Bowl, and that caused a stir of there were a bunch of other bowls and affiliations where, you know, they were planning on certain ACC schools to go to their bowl game, and then they didn't. And then Notre Dame, by luck of the draw, literally, not luck of the Irish, but drawing out of a hat, got the Sun Bowl, and that caused even more upheaval. And just uh, at the end of the day, I think it was just a, a stroke of bad fortune for the Fiesta Bowl to be left with the, the highest uh, group of five uh, ended up being Liberty. But uh, I think Kazano mentioned yesterday that it should have been SMU because they were the conference champions of the American? The American, yeah. What are they in now? They're in the American, yeah. And that's uh, that's on the CFP committee because they put Liberty ahead of SMU. In the rankings. In the rankings. And it was, SMU was one spot behind, I believe, 24. Liberty was 23. Had SMU been 22, they would have been the ones going to this game playing Oregon. I would have liked to have uh, seen that. The future ACC member. Stangs, Stangs and Ducks. A lot better than Flames and Ducks. Actually, Flames and Ducks ain't too bad. I'll take that one, too. But come on. The Liberty? Flames is a sweet, sweet mascot name. Yeah, it is. I thought they were the Golden Flashes at first, but that's definitely Kent State. That's Kent State, yeah. Yeah, my mistake. Sorry, Julian Edelman. He's Kent State, right? Antonio Gates. Oh, ballers coming out of there, man. Uh, let's go to Ron and Gresham. Hey, Ron. Hey, how you doing today? Great. I'm not a huge Ducks fan. Uh, I'm actually from the Bay Area, but I've been following the Ducks for a while. But what I've seen from them, minus winning that one bowl, they always find a way to choke. They just always find a way to not get over the hump and not beat a team that they're predicted to beat. You know, Uh, For me, I'm a Patriots fan, so I would equate the season to this. The year we went 18-1, and it wouldn't matter to me if we went 1-18. If you're not going to go 19-0, if you're not going to win at all, that don't even put on your gear. Don't put on your cleats. You know what? Just stay at home and watch the other boys, the other men play football. That's kind of how I feel about it. Not, you know, it's all about winning. I'm sorry. That's what it is. And Oregon did not win this year when they needed to win. So he brings up a really fascinating point because I think a lot of Duck fans hear that and say, oh, that's so harsh. But I'm starting to get there with college football in the fact that it, it – I'm more of an NFL fan primarily than a college football fan, even though I watch every Duck and Beaver game and root for both programs to succeed. But it does kind of give me that, like, you know, win it all or (laughs) come up short mentality. I'm not sure if that's a great thing. We'll talk about that a little bit more later in the show. Up against the break, an hour two is next right here on the Bald Face Truth. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano. B-F-F-T. Now, built by high-caliber millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the ball-faced truth. Four o'clock hour, Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn, in for John Canzano. Play some punch and audio here coming up. (laughs) Talk a little Blazers. I was the the guy with the Shaden Sharp over 21 and a half points last night. Whoops. Also, uh, Steph Curry over four and a half rebounds. He had two rebounds in like the first five minutes of the game. 
And uh, I'm not sure he had a rebound after that, Stephen. <laughs> did he? <laughs> he did, unfortunately. Only four, though. But I mean, that's the uh, that's the life of betting the prop game there, Judah. You're going to get some winners. going to get some losers. I, unfortunately, had the Blazers uh, in the game. I was at the game. And um, as I told one of, my, uh, one of my friends, I had free tickets. Wish I didn't with uh, that performance. Where'd you sit? Ah, good, really good seats. So even even with the really good seats. I mean, it was partially joking. I mean, anytime you go to the Blazer game, it's a great time. But I mean, the performance, not great. Very uh, very lackluster. So Blazers were favorites for the first time this season. What game are we on? Twenty something. Twenty one, twenty two, right around there. And for the very first time, they were favored against the Utah Jazz. Yeah. Utah was a little shorthanded, and it did not matter. I thought Portland was going to come out swinging. I had him first quarter, had him full game. You and I were talking about this. You know, part of me was thinking, oh, this is, you know, the Blazers are favored. They're going to face plant. But then I was like, no, no, this team, they'll figure it out. Defensively, they'll be good. They just beat Utah not too long ago, right? Um, Brogdon and Aiton were back. Brogdon and Aiton were back. And, you know, I'm, I love my guy, DeAndre Aiton. Just such passion for the game. Just such a just such a hard worker. That just approaches everything with a professional attitude. Um, look, I don't know the man, but tongue in cheek uh, there. I've not been impressed with DA uh, dominating. What in the hell are we doing? Dominating. It's a cool <laughs> nickname, though. It is if you're actually good. Um, so yeah, anyway, he's been he's been disappointed. I'm a little I'm a little bitter, but you know what? It's it's a season where you got to look for positives and take a little bit of small positives away. From each game, but last night was not one of those nights. So Utah comes out swinging. They end up getting the victory, pretty much wire to wire. At what point did you leave the arena? Third quarter, fourth quarter? Do you, do you have to stay through the final whistle? What's, no, we, what's the situation? Me and my bud, we stuck it out till uh, the final TV timeout. The fourth quarter, so right around three minutes okay. uh, left of the game. Then that's when Duop Reith went on a run, which was awesome. He needs to play more, by the way. But uh, I mean, it was you know, a good time. Obviously, going to the Blazer game is always fun. It's just it's one of those things where. The, you know, the Blazers, and I've given them a lot of credit this season, they've played hard the first 22 games of the season. They've played really good defense for the most part all season long. Last night was really the first time this season where there was a real lack of effort, and the guys just were not ready to play. They just did not want to play. And that's going to happen in the NBA season, and I don't have any expectations for the Blazers. Like I don't expect them to win a lot of games, so I'm not necessarily disappointed. It's just one of those things where, you know, and we talked about this, you know, earlier this week just of players playing hard like that should be a minimum is guys play hard so in that sense yeah a little disappointing but not surprised that they lost by a lot because uh, this happens in the nba but i was on the blazers i thought they were gonna win yeah that's a that's a tough one when when you back the blazers instead of fading them um in uh in dk we learned our lesson we learned our lesson there never bet on the blazers did we learn it uh scoot henderson is part of our punch it audio so we'll lead off with that as we do a little punch it audio the best sound from all around we interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the bald fish truth headquarters hey we're all about truth justice in the american way here okay which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day you're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Scoot says, hey, just getting more comfortable with everything. Punch it. Uh, not really breakthrough. I'm just getting more comfortable. Y'all just seeing the ball go in more. That's, that's about it. Um, obviously, 
still confident. Um, just still, still trying to be ODD in my own way. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out ways to to help. And when he's when he's getting, you know, boxing one like that, and, and we're trying to figure out ways to score while, you know, all the attention is on Ant. You know what I mean? So, but we're gonna get to it. We're gonna get it. Team high, 23 points, 10 assists, two rebounds, and a steal for Scoot. And it's his first NBA career double-double. Make sure you get that game ball. Yeah, don't let... Uh, don't let Ricky, Ricky Carlisle get it. Or whatever. Uh, who's Utah's coach these it's, days? It's uh, Will Hardy. Will, Will Wade? Yeah, Will Wade. No, it's uh, don't let Simon Fontecchio get the ball. Him and Colin Sexton went off. Taylor Horton Tucker went off, too. But here's the thing Where, about Scoot. Where's Fontecchio from? Italy, maybe? Okay. I don't know. No idea. Uh, best friends with Tommy DeVito, I think. Uh, <laughs> here's my thing about Scoot. And you can check out this this article on 750thegame.com by Tory Jones. He does a really good job with the Blazers. We've talked about this. Like, Scoot, when you see him in person, it's impressive because he is very fast. His speed is unbelievable, but it's one speed he has, and it's full blast you know, pedal to the metal, right to the basket. The change of direction is not great right now, and he's working on that. You know, he's working with Pooh Jetter every single day in the gym, working on. It. That's why I don't have any, I don't have any questions about Scoot. I think Scoot's gonna be fine. He, he's a very hard working. You hear it right there. He has the confidence. He knows he wants to be great, so he's gonna be working on these things. But you know, he's played a lot better these last five games, Judah. You know, he had the injury early on in the season. He's come back last five games, 15 and a half points, five assists a game. Like you said, career high last night in points and assists. Um, the shooting's just not there yet still. You know, 40% the last five games, 37 on the season. Like, that shot's going to have to improve throughout the season, throughout his career. But I don't have any questions about Scoot right now. I, I think he's going to be, you know, it's going to be a work in progress. I know a lot of people were expecting day one he's going to be awesome. And I expected a little more out of Scoot, I'll be honest. Like, I thought he was going to be a little bit better. But I don't have any questions about him because of his personality, the way he goes about his business. I think he's going to be fine. And it's going to be one of these things where we look at it in, you know, game 70s, game 75, and Scoot's going to do some things where you're like, all right, I, I really see this now. I see that this guy's going to be part of the future. This guy's going to be, you know, the future point guard of the Portland Trailblazers because he does a lot of things really good too. You know, defensively, he gets after it. The team is actually really good on the defensive end when he's on the floor. That's like, a relief. You can look at the numbers. The numbers say he's when, when Scoot's on the floor, the defense is really good. And so imagine that one of your star guards – Helps plays defense on defense. That's a good feeling. Yeah, and because uh, you know the other guy, you know Anthony Simons is not going to be great on defense this season uh, when he's out there. Is but it yeah. too early to start worrying about that crossroads of Simons, Sharp, Scoot? Where are the minutes going to be? Who's going to start? Who's going to be left out? No, no, I don't think it's it's not. We don't have to make that decision yet. There's still a lot of time because the Blazers aren't going to compete for the playoffs this season. You know, six and seventeen, they're not going anywhere this year. So I think this is a year where. It's all three of those guys just develop, right? And then I think when we look at it next season, that's when you're going to have to start making decisions of, all right, is it Scoot and Ant? Is it Scoot and Sharp? Is it Ant and Sharp? Is it whatever, whatever the options are, it's next season. But I think this year is fully for development. See how it plays out. And by the end of the year, I think we're going to get a more clear picture of what we're going to want to see going forward for the Trailblazers. But you know, last night was very disappointing with the way they came out. And Chauncey, you know, Chauncey chewed him out after the game, which is good for Chauncey. You know, he cursed a few times, got after him. Um, that's the way that's what you want to see out of Chauncey. So uh, give Chauncey a little credit, but, yeah, it was really disappointing last night. So that was Will uh, Hardy, the Utah Jazz coach, from one Will to another. Will Wade, the head coach at? McNeese State. Oh, right. 
I knew you would knew you would know that. Hey, and uh, just for people doing March Madness, if McNeese State makes it to the NCAA tournament, first round upset. Watch it. They're good. Right. They're good. Good little team. Wade was the head coach at LSU, and uh, before he ran into some trouble with the NCAA. So safe to say, he ain't a friend of uh, the NCAA. And this soundbite when he was talking about the NCAA and you know what's going on with them and and transfers and. Um, they're in court, and there was some breaking news actually not long ago. The NCAA has agreed to terms with multiple state attorneys general pending court approval to prevent any retaliation against student-athletes who compete during uh, this uh, TRO that uh, was handed down a few days ago. And basically, any athletes, any transfer athletes, they'll be able to compete without penalty between now and the end of the spring sports season. So there was some debate going on whether or not the NCAA would um, act punitively against some of these transfer athletes and threaten their eligibility uh, because some of them are, you know, just playing and playing immediately uh, without any repercussions. And the NCAA wants to act like it still has some degree of muscle on it, which it in fact does not. Here's Will Wade. Punch it. I mean, look, there's a strong legal argument that these kids should not lose eligibility. And it goes to court. The kids will not lose eligibility. I'm almost. I, I've been. You, you never know anything for 100 percent sure. But this thing, December 27th, the NCAA is toast anyway. They're gonna get beat again on the 27th. So it's. I mean, it's. A, it's. It's. It's a moot point. They're getting beat again, and they'll get beat again after that, and they'll get beat again after that. However, legally, a lot of what the NCAA does is just. It's just flat illegal. I've learned that through 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 all through all my stuff through all theirs through all this stuff like it's just it it, it doesn't it does. there's a reason they're trying to get antitrust exemption from from congress and so i mean they look they just need to blow the whole thing up and come back with a new model and they need to collective bargain with the players it's the only way they can make this thing work and until they do that they're just going to get they're just going to get smacked in court <laughs> uh, that's a great clip He's not bitter at all, and I think he's right. You know, they are going to get smacked, and that's why they came to terms on an agreement today. So there is not going to be a December 27th injunction hearing. You know, they got that out of the way by just agreeing on a uh, on a, on on preventing retaliation against student-athletes who compete <laughs> during the temporary restraining order. Oh, I love courts. The NCAA is just a joke, man. <laughs> Golly. And he's so right with they just have to scrap the whole thing and start over. And I'm not even a huge component of, like, these college athletes are well underpaid. Like, they deserve to get some money, yes. They deserve to get paid. They deserve to use their likeness. But they also get a lot of things that other people aren't getting, that nobody talks about. They get they already get paid with stipends before the NIL. They were getting paid. Like, I don't even think that it's not even that, but the issue of they need to scrap the whole thing and start over because right now it is the wild, wild west out there, Judah. There's no regulations on anything. We're seeing these NIL markets go wild. I just hate the fact that we're losing like these smaller schools and we look at Oregon State, Washington State, how they have to you know match up with the Mountain West now. They're out of the Pac-12. It's just going to get worse. It's going to get worse and it's going to turn into a professional league. And that's what I don't want because, you know what, I love college sports more than I like professional sports, and I don't want it to go away, Judah. I just it, it makes me mad. So I'm with Will Wade on that. Like, just scrap it. Start it over. Get it back to where, you know, all these schools are playing against one, one another in those rivalries. Shoe on the other foot, you'll see a bunch of big-time brands literally every week playing football in with the best production on the biggest TV stations.
it's all right. You know, that's all right. Now, granted, I'm more of an NFL guy, so that resonates, you know, with me a little bit, and I'm not a Beaver alum. Um, but I think we do feel the negative impacts of everything a little bit more poignantly in Oregon than you might say in Georgia or Alabama or Florida or anything like that for obvious reasons. Uh, speaking of obvious, it was obvious who the uh, better team on the field was last night at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Raiders just absolutely dominate the charges. 63-21, was that the final? Sure. A yeah. lot to a little. That's, that's all I know. Lewis Riddick of the Mothership. Punch it. I think that right there was a real live, in-your-face display of what it looks like when players lose their competitive spirit and when they literally shut it down and they don't lock in and they're just scoreboard watching and wondering, when the hell is this game over? When can we get on the bus? When can I pick up my box lunch and get on the plane and go home? That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like when they are no longer believing what you're telling them, that they're no longer playing with the kind of like self-pride, with the kind of self-respect that is really supposed to be, you know, uh, you know, something that professionals put on display, you know, regardless of what the circumstances are. It was Raiders minus three going into the game. You and I talked about this game for a ridiculous amount of time beforehand, Steven, trying to figure out who do we like, who are we going to play, etc., and I told you, I said, there is no way that this is a normal football game. There is no way that this will take a normal structure, cadence, game flow, whatever. It's going to get really, really wacky. So part of me was like, I'm going to make it so wacky, I think the Chargers might win. Uh, part of it, too, was, you know, we've seen all this upheaval in NFL locker rooms the last week or so. Uh, some of the examples, the Giants had this fiasco with Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, and the head coach, Brian Dayball. Oh, there's, you know, there's struggle. There's a power struggle. There's, you know, they're they're disagreeing on everything. And what they do? Oh, they go out and they beat the Packers who are playing good ball on Monday Night Football with Tommy freaking Cutlets. I mean, let's go. So I'm like, okay, so I guess having a bad locker room vibe, that's okay. You can still uh, overcome these things. You can still win. What else happened in New York? The Jets plant stories about Zach Wilson. And he doesn't want to play. What happens? Zach Wilson goes out and balls the hell out against D'Amico Ryans and the Texans. I'm like, all right. 300 yards. 300 yards, like the best game in the rain, best game of his career. Who had the under on 33 and a half, by the way? And the game was scoreless at halftime, and it still went over. That's right, this guy. So sad. But another example of dysfunction in the locker room, not meaning crap, and the team going out there and winning. And there was one other example. I can't even remember it. Uh, but there was another team. Oh, yeah, the 9-11 stuff with Sean McDermott. Oh, my God, he's going to get fired this, fired that. Oh, they go into Arrowhead and beat the Chiefs. And so, then the players are all yelling, you're our guy, You're coach. our guy. We you're love guy. you. We communicate. <laughs> so fast forward to Thursday, I'm like, okay, Brandon Staley, he's obviously on a very, very hot seat. But, look, we just have three data points of upheaval in the locker room not meaning anything. The team goes out and wins. In all, in every one of those cases, as an underdog. So the Chargers, you know, you know, maybe Easton Stick could go out there, and then absolutely not. They they fell all over themselves, and it was hardly a normal game. We we definitely called that. But the Raiders, after being shut out four days earlier, scoring zero points, scored sixty three four nights later. The NFL is wild. It is awesome. The other reason why it's awesome is that I had a little shekel on the uh, defense or special team touchdown. For both the Raiders and the Chargers, and the Raiders scored twice on defense, so that was nice. Yeah, Easton Stick, uh, 
he was a little sticky icky last night. Not not very good. Uh, it's one of those things now, Judah, where I think just looking forward, like scrap this season for the Chargers. They're done. Like we're all done. Justin Herbert's out for the season. Don't even worry about the rest of the year. Going forward now, what is the future for Herbie and the Chargers? Is it stay with Herbert after that contract extension? Now he's got hurt. There's the injury thing. Get a new coach in there. Build around him. I would argue, like, the roster seems like it's pretty good. Like, I don't – is it all Brandon Staley? Is it all Justin Herbert? Like, I don't know where the bling goes. The Chargers still build around Herbert, or is it a chance where, you know, maybe they look to trade it for the first pick of the draft and they go after Caleb Williams. Maybe it's the you know, Drake May. Maybe there's some other quarterback that the Chargers really like and they look to move off of Herbert in that contract because you look at Herbert's record – Good, average, average, a good quarterback. You look at the fourth quarter numbers, average fourth quarter numbers when it matters on the line. How many playoff wins does he have? That's none. Like, I, I think it's okay to question everything right now with the Chargers. And it wouldn't surprise me, Judah, to say, to see, you know, when we go into next season, Justin Herbert's on the team. And, you know, they have a brand new coach like Bill Belichick, an old school coach that's going to bring in new offense. Or it wouldn't surprise me. If they go with some super young coach and Herbert's on a different roster and they have a brand new rookie quarterback, I, I really don't know which direction they're going to go. But I think the Chargers are a really interesting case of what's going to happen going forward. Yeah, they are a fascinating study. They also have a GM vacancy now. They not only fired Brandon Staley, but also Tom Telesco, who had been there for quite some time. I do want to talk about that Chargers conversation. We'll do that in uh, in the following segment. we got some NFL news and notes. One more piece of audio and punched audio. In uh, Tom Luganbill, he was on with uh, Matt Barry on ESPN talking about some transfer portal quarterbacks and had to do with the Ducks and the Beavs. Punch it. Yeah, and especially if that transfer portal quarterback has two things in his favor. A large sample size of production. He's played a lot and more than one year of eligibility. Because I think if you continue to cast your line in the transfer portal at the quarterback spot, eventually you are going to crush your credibility recruiting quarterbacks at the high school level because they're constantly going to fear that each and every year we're going to go out and get a transfer portal guy. And so I think the player, it's really important if you're going to be fishing in those waters that the, that player that you're going after has multiple years of eligibility. And not all of them are going to. You know, a, a Dylan Gabriel is a bridge gap guy right now for Oregon. And that's great for, for them. Um, but you like there to be multiple years and that's where Malik Murphy is really attractive, right? He's got, he's got enough of a sample size and he's got multiple years to play and he's played major college football and you've seen it, you've watched it. Malik Murphy visiting three teams over the next three days. He is the transfer from Texas. He is going to visit uh, Duke Baylor and the Oregon State Beavers, the O-State Ballas, to borrow a Beaver baseball term from 06-07. Um, but great song. Great song. Absolutely I have it on my song. phone, actually. Yeah. Yeah. We need Mitch Canham to come wrap it on uh, on the air sometime. Uh, but Malik Murphy, I mean, that would be awesome for Oregon State if they could make a splash at quarterback going into this next phase of their program. Oregon already has made a splash at quarterback going into the next phase of its program in one Dylan Gabriel. They may, they may add another high-profile QB. Dante Moore visiting the Oregon Ducks this week. Is it crazy to think about a scenario where the Ducks get both Dylan Gabriel and Dante Moore? Because here's the reality. You're going to need more than one quarterback when you talk about going into the Big Ten Conference, not just for one season, but you have to have a plan at QB for multiple seasons. 
you cannot be a program that is one-stop shop with the one-year of eligibility QB. So you don't think that's sustainable? You don't think that's sustainable year after year to go after and go in the portal and get a quarterback? You know, maybe get a two years like Bo Nix, but you're looking in the portal every single season like the Ducks have been? The Ducks will be a portal destination uh, every year going forward for the quarterback. The Ducks will no longer recruit and develop a freshman out of high school. They don't need it, to. Those days are over. They don't need to. They got the money. But is that, sustain- is that sustainable to be a hot, you know one of the best teams in the nation and do that year after year? Because, I mean, you know, you, there, there's a lot of instances where that does work. But there's also, you know, look at the J.J. McCarthy. You look at Jalen Milrow, the team's in the playoffs right now for Michigan, Alabama. Um, you know, Texas got a transfer, Quinn yours, and then Penix got a transfer as well. So it's two and two that way, develop and transfer. It, is it sustainable to keep it up and may, you know, expect to get the college football playoff all the time? If you have multiple QBs, that's that's where I'm going. You have to almost have your own QB farm system of guys that are, you know, that you buy. I'm, I'm, I'm being fully honest here. You're that's what the group of five is for. You're buying them from NIL. Yes, exactly. The group of five, the standouts from group of five, or maybe lower tier power five, those QBs, you you need to get two of them to Oregon, you know, on a semi-regular basis. And this is why I think Dante Moore, and hopefully Dante Moore agrees to come to Oregon as well and decides to sit for a year behind Dylan Gabriel and still make a chunk of change. Whatever he needs to feel comfortable in NIL, you want a guy with... Some good upside and pedigree without the urgency to play right away. And I know some people would say, oh, that was Ty Thompson. It wasn't. Okay. It just, it wasn't. I think Dante Moore has got a higher ceiling than Ty Thompson. I don't think that's even that. And that's even after one year at UCLA. Like, I really still believe in some of that pedigree. And obviously, he at one time was an Oregon commit already. So if you're Oregon, you're trying to compete each and every year in the Big Ten Conference. I think you you need not one, you need two, you know, upper tier QBs. One that's older with less eligibility and one that you can be patient with a little bit more. Now, maybe that's a high school recruit. Maybe that's a Luke Moga or however you say his last name. You know, he's a four-star kid, I believe. Maybe he's five. This latest QB uh, out of uh, Arizona, I believe. But I really don't think it is. I think Oregon will be each and every year a destination for multiple transfer quarterbacks. And whether it's a QB battle or whether it's you are, you know, gonna play one this one year and already have a succession plan in place for the next year, I think that's how you gotta do it if you're Oregon and you certainly have the means and the funds to do so via the collective. Uh, take more of your thoughts on that at 503-417-7575. Get more, uh, unpack a little bit more of that as well on the other side and some NFL notes. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazano here on a Friday, Bold Face Truth. Back to the Bold Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Big day for Oregon State and Washington State officially getting control of the Pac-12 today. The uh, state Supreme Court in the state of Washington uh, lifting their stay, basically saying we're not going to review this case anymore, even though University of Washington uh, was trying to really put this off and, and get the su- state Supreme Court to look at the ruling made by Gary Leiby in Whitman County. And uh, state Supreme Court in Washington says, nah, nah, we're not. <laughs> we're not digging into this anymore that we already have. 
Uh, so OSU and Wazoo again a favorable you know outcome once again today. It's a good Friday uh, for the Beavers and the Cougs and control of the assets and liabilities. The conference totaling close to four hundred million dollars. Uh, Damian Martinez playing in the Sun Bowl as well. Uh, that was interesting, or at least eligible to play in the Sun Bowl. I'm sure Trent Bray will uh, let him do so, even though Trent Bray not coaching in the Sun Bowl. Do I still have that right? He's not coaching in the Sun Bowl? Yeah, he's uh, not the head coach in the Sun Bowl. Yeah. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for Jack Cadano today and you at 503-417-7575. Beavs and Sun Bowl mm, brings back good memories of uh, Minnesota and Shady McCoy and Pitt. Those are some Sun Bulls as a young young man, I remember fondly. And two very different games. <laughs> I th- almost polar opposite games, you could say. Uh, I'm sure Beaver fans with memories of both. If, you, if you've got memories of those Sun Bulls, you can hit me up, 503-417-7575. I vividly remember watching the, the one with Pitt and LaShawn McCoy and being like, is this football? Is this thing on? Finishes 3 nothing. Good guys, though. And that's all that mattered in the end. Did you remember watching uh, either of those games? I think Evanson Bernard had a uh, big uh, winning touchdown in the Minnesota game. Yeah, I mean the uh, the Pitts game is legendary, legendary stuff. Oregon Savers Pitt three nothing uh, game down in El Paso, and it, you know I was talking to my Oregon State friend yesterday. He's like, man, I would love to go to the Sun Bowl. I'm like, El Paso Sun Bowl? He's like, yeah, dude. He's like, the the history of the Sun Bowl with the Beavers. He's like, you know, I, you got to get there. So yeah, I mean I remember that going, you know, back in the day. With Oregon State playing Pitt and it's three nothing, you're thinking, man, that, like you said, what what are, what are we watching here? <laughs> you know, is this is this football? But no, it's it's one of those things that you don't forget about that. So I I'm excited. I'm excited about this year though with the Bees. It's uh, yeah. it'll be interesting now that Damian Martinez is uh, gonna be back in action. I did want to talk with you a little bit about uh, Malik Murphy real quick here. Do so. I wanted to get to this. Yeah. What so do you got on Malik Murphy. You know, Malik Murphy was a freshman at Texas last season. He was a four star recruit. Uh, you know, he enters the transfer portal. He started two games for Texas this past season. Started against BYU and Kansas State. They went two and zero in those games. Uh, you know, he was okay. Four hundred seventy-seven yards this season. Three touchdowns. Three picks. Fifty-six percent completion percentage. But you know, big guy, six-five, two thirty-eight, pocket passer. Like you said last segment, Oregon State. He's going to be visiting them uh, this weekend, I believe. Uh, going to be down in Corvallis visiting Oregon State. And we've talked about Ben Gilbranson, how he's going to start the bowl game. It's kind of his job to lose once again. Like he has fallen up after uh, you know DJ Uyungle leaves and Aiden Childs leaves. How important is it for Oregon State to get a guy like Malik Murphy, who went to Texas, played, you know, was was fine, and now you got some guy to go in and you know compete against Ben Gilbranson? Because for me, Judah, I just all respect to Ben Gilbranson. I, it's just not inspiring <laughs> if he's the starting quarterback next season. Like, like they have to go out and they have to get somebody that is ready to play and ready to be a competition. And if Ben Goldbranson wins that competition, he beats out a guy like Malik Murphy, great. Then I'm excited. But if you go in with him as really your your, your go-to number one quarterback, I just I can't get excited for that. No, no, you can't get excited for that for a number of reasons. One, brand new system, brand new coaching staff, O-line mastermind gone, and scheme gone. Like, if you thought Ben Goldbranson was okay in that scheme, okay, well, that scheme's no longer there. To assume the Beavers are still going to be dynamite running the football. And by dynamite, I mean like a top 10 rushing offense in the country, which is what they essentially were with multiple backs. Martinez, Fenwick, uh, even Isaiah Newell, even J.M. Griffin before he transferred out. They had dudes, they had horses, they knew how to run the rock. 
um, most of the year. I don't think they ran it as well against Washington as many people thought they did. They had one good drive where they did, but outside of that, Washington had a lot better run defense than I anticipated. Obviously, they didn't run it very well against the Duckies, uh, but look, their coach was a foot into Michigan by that point. Um, What I mean by all that is this is going to be a different offense. Even if there's some, some structural similarities, it's an entirely new coaching staff, honestly, on that side of the ball, led by Ryan Gunderson. Machalczyk's gone, Wozniak's gone. The whole infrastructure of lifting all boats, right? The rising tide that lifts all boats. The rising tide was the infrastructure of the Jonathan Smith, Brian Lindgren, Jim Machalczyk run game and offensive scheme. That was the infrastructure that lifted the boat of Oregon State football in general and the culture frankly like that is you know it's one of those things where the style of your football team completely influences the culture of your program the beavers were run the football have some exciting moments in the play action and boot game i didn't think they threw it down the field off of play action as often as i would have liked this year with dj um i think they need another bigger receiver frankly to complement some speed guys like silas and anthony I've joked with you before, but if you remember a guy like Jordan Villaman, who was actually kind of an effective ex-receiver, you know, he could body up some guys and go get some balls. Um, Hodgins was that way a little bit differently. He was more fluid of an athlete and could beat beat guys on a more variety of routes than Villaman. But I mean all that to say, like, I've still got questions about the infrastructure and style of the new Oregon State offense. And it's so easy in our minds just to copy and paste styles and schemes and oh we've seen it before with Damian Martinez we're going to see it again that I'm not quite ready to go there yet there's so much more of the Beaver offense going forward that I need to see before I can really wrap my head around you know what it will look like and what expectations will be so with all that in mind you know with Ben Branson. Look, I, I agree with you. All due respect, I was not a big Ben Branson believer. Not many of us were, even in the old system. So definitely not in the new system either, when I haven't even seen the thing yet. Malik Murphy, what would you say his measurables were? 6'5", 238. Game over. you got to give me that guy. If you're Ryan Gunderson, you got to be like, yeah, that guy. Four-star four prospect guy. out of California. Done. It's like, I mean, not even... If, if a guy like Malik Murphy got to Oregon State and lost a job to Ben Branson, you got other problems. Or Benny G is going to the NFL. But but you get a transfer from Texas who's 6524. I mean, we're, we're, it's over. That's the guy that you need to ride with. Now, we'll see if he even goes there. He's visiting Duke and Baylor before he gets to Oregon State. But that's all bringing it to your point. I think it is important for Oregon State if they want to compete for the playoff, which I think is, I would say it's unreasonable. Even with the schedule, it's unreasonable. They they lost a ton, they lost a ton, and it's really just including their coach, including the coach, and you got a defensive minded new head coach. Like there's so it's it's a great day for the Beavers today, but dude, it's gonna be tough playing Oregon early in the year is not gonna be pretty. I'm sorry, it's not. Here's my thing with you know with the Beavs also like we gotta. They lost Aiden Childs, who was a four-star quarterback. Malik Murphy, probably not as good as Aiden Childs. You know, the numbers don't back it up. He may not be as good, but 
you got to get a guy that can represent your program and be the face of it. Like he's, it's Damian Martinez, but you need that quarterback as well. And with Murphy, you're going to get three, four years out of this guy when he comes in to Oregon State. I mean, you know, who knows how the transfer rules work? At some point, maybe he gets an extra year just for fun because you know NCAA has no rules and they don't really care about anything. Well, so, or yeah, he might go somewhere else. He might use Oregon State as a launching yeah, pad if it works out but, well for him. But at the same time, I think best case scenario, you know, you get three years out of this guy and you know a highly recruited guy that went to Texas. You get him as you know your guy going forward and in, in the part of your history of a franchise and you're as a school as where you got to stay afloat you got to stay relevant you have a four-star quarterback in there and i think that would be huge for oregon state to get so it'd be massive yeah yeah i just think you know it may not be malik murphy but it's got to be a guy that you can trust going forward into the portal that's going to compete with gold branson because you know gold branson is fine but he's a mountain west quarterback and i think if he's your quarterback that's kind of the ceiling of it right now i just don't know who the other transfer quarterbacks are out there that I would get excited about if I'm a B fan. But look, cause I knew Malik Murphy, but that's only because of, you know, some osmosis to Arch Manning and uh you get out Arch you Manning know. for the backup job. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure if I believe that. <laughs> but I guess like, you know, I guess so. Um but, I know so. Yeah, you got you got sauces down there in Austin. I do think it's weird to transfer out as your team's going to the playoff. That makes me feel a little weird just in general. But you kind of have to because the portal's open. You got to go. But it's like your team's going to the playoff. Like, yeah, I wish that you would. You could be able to still be with your team before you go to your new program. Well, that but just goes to the NCAA. Needs to, time waits for no man. NCAA needs to just forget everything and start over and make the schedule actually make sense and not have the transfer portal the Monday after all the games end. So then everyone's just leaving and trying to scramble. And then your coach who just coached in the rivalry game against Oregon actually coaches and tries to win that game and not get out with his quarterback. Let's go out to Michael in Eugene. He's called in. Hey, Michael, how you doing? I agree with Steven and you, Judah. They need to blow it up and start over. And I think for Oregon, continuing the Civil War, and that is what it's called as a lifelong duck and alum. It was silly when they got rid of the name. Uh, at any rate, the programs are trending in very different directions right now, and I hope the Beavers land a transfer because that is the Ducks are, are looking at this. Only with Jonathan Smith was Oregon State competitive. We had won, like, 11 of 13 before, and it's not going to be competitive anymore, I promise. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, that's the thing, Michael. I am worried about the um, competitive aspect to it. There's two There's two aspects of the rivalry. <laughs> there's one, the romantic part of it, being Thanksgiving weekend all, every year. That was my favorite day of the year. And I'm not a duck homer or a beaver homer, but I've just grown up in this state. I have really good friends on both sides of the aisle, as they say. And when the ducks and beeves play, it does something for my spirit. It does something for my soul, especially on Black Friday, going around listening to Christmas music, Christmas shopping, and looking forward to that that day. Now, they've played on Black Friday and Thanksgiving weekend when both programs have stunk. And it, frankly, hasn't mattered to me emotionally. I still always cherish that day. And I know I'm I'm getting weird talking about it, but that's what we are as sports fans. We get emotional. We get a little romantic about our sports sometimes. And for me, Ducks versus Beavs is my favorite day of the year, even more than my birthday. But it won't be going forward. Not on, not on September 14th. 
not on the second weekend of the season. It's going to be different. So I got to grow up, get past it, and enjoy my birthday again. But the, but the point that Michael raises is true. I'm glad the rivalry's back. But it's going to be different, man. It's not going to be the same. And week two of next year for a program in Oregon State, that if they are not rebuilding, they're definitely resetting, it's not going to be a pretty football game. Oregon's going to be out for blood, and they're going to be really good. And I'm not sure that Oregon State will be there. We are like nine months away. We are full baby-making away from that game even being born. And yet, I just feel it in my bones that it's going to be a tough one for the Beefs to stay competitive. And I don't know if 2025 is going to be any different. Premature, Steven? Or do you uh, are you following I think it's a, I, I think it's a little premature to say that uh, you know it's a given that Oregon State's going to get blown out this next season. But I, I think going forward, it's a legitimate question. And so I... I that's why this this next this whole offseason is so important for Oregon State, and then this next season is going to be important for Oregon State. If they want to get back to where they were these past couple seasons with Jonathan Smith, they have to stay relevant. And I and I and I mentioned this to John earlier this week. Like, if I'm the Ducks, like that is a game that I would worry about. Like having to go play at Corvallis, you know, they'll play in Eugene, but when they play in Corvallis, like that's not. I don't think that's a gimme win for the Ducks. And it's a game at the start of the year. You lose to Oregon State. People are going to knock you for that. Like, they're not a Pac-12 team. They're a Mountain West team. And Oregon State's going to have that chip on their shoulder. So I, I disagree with you. I think that this game is still going to be somewhat competitive these next couple seasons at least, as long you know, as far as Oregon State has their guys in there and Damian Martinez is there, if they can get a quarterback. But I think there is potential going forward where, yeah, they may play these games, but it may turn into a one-sided rivalry. I, I will say that 25 in Reezer, that – I can imagine being competitive because now you've got a lot of time. If Bray works out, if the offense is functional and good, you still got who knows who's playing quarterback for Oregon State, but I can still, but early in the season next year, is that game two or is it game three? Ducks beeves next year. I, I think it's, it might be game three instead of game two. And I know that feels like um, splitting hairs, but I do think it's important if you're Oregon State to get, a few games under your belt or at least a couple under your belt before you have to face the Ducks week three at the Beavs, Yeah, For the, for the Beavs, it's the third game. They got Idaho state that they're at San Diego state and then take out Oregon. So I think it's a good natural ramp up. What does Oregon have before they face Oregon state in that uh, third game? Cause it might be for Oregon. Is it their second game or is it their third game? Uh, it is their fourth game. It's their fourth game. They play at Hawaii, remember, week zero oh, this season. Oh, that's what they're playing week zero. And then they are at home against Idaho, at home against Boise. And then, and then home to Oregon home State. To Oregon State. Yeah. I just think it's going to be a little bit tougher of a climb for Trent Bray than many people are thinking. And, and because of that, an early season game at Oregon – it's tough for me to say, yeah, the Beavers could go in there and be competitive in a place they haven't won since 07. So, <laughs> really, it's going to be weird to have a game in Eugene in an even-numbered year. In September, it's just weird. So, do you, do you like the fact that they're playing this game, or should they have just Look, gone, I know, gone I might be it. in the minority, but I would have, and, and I know there's finances at stake, but if you take out the finances, I would have been just fine having them not play. If it's not going to be in the same conference Thanksgiving weekend, it's just a different, different game. 
and I know I might be out in, you know, the 10% out there. I didn't need it if it was going to be this different. I didn't need it. And that is removing the financial component from it for me just as a fan. I didn't need the game to be in September and in Odson next year and back in Rio. I, I, if it's not in the same conference at the end of the year, then it's a very, very different animal. But I think most people are happy that it's back, and I'm glad, you know, there will be something to talk about, um, you know, in September when, when these two teams go at it again. But it's going to just feel even more Big Brother, Little Brother-ish than it already did. And I, I don't need it. I didn't necessarily need that in my football schedule in September. When it comes around next year, I'm sure I'll say the exact opposite. So you're welcome for the hypocrisy in advance, everybody. Uh, Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Gonzano. Uh, whip around some NFL notes as well. A little bit more Blazer talk. And uh, talk about Dylan Gabriel and expectations at Oregon. All in front of us here on a Friday, Boldface Truth. <laughs> Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Nothing like a little uh, NBA Friday. It's around this time pretty much every day. I like to check in with Steven and... Uh, See where we are with the little prop prop markets or lines in the association. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn, in for John Cazzano on this fine Friday. What do you like today? I tell you what, I uh, nothing today. <laughs> Yesterday I got a little, you know, got a little happy, and uh, didn't work out great. And it capitalized and ended capped off with the Blazers uh, getting absolutely crushed, down by thirty three points to a shorthanded Jazz team. Uh, when I thought the Blazers would win the game and cover, so uh, just took the day off, Judah. Just you know. Quick day off, refresh the brain, you know, clear it out, recharge the battery, and uh, hit it back hard on Sunday for the NFL and Saturday. Yeah, the dude. NFL. Saturday in the NFL. We got a triple header tomorrow. Uh, of course, you can listen to it if you're listening in Portland on the BFT Radio Network flagship, 750 The Game and 750thegame.com, where it streams for free. Vikings, Bengals, Steelers, Colts, Broncos, Lions, small spreads. Cincy minus three at home to Minnesota. Indianapolis minus one and a half to the Steelers. And Detroit minus four and a half against Russell Hustle Bustle, Man Muscle Wilson, and the Denver Broncos. Um, I'm excited for all three of these games, frankly, because I love the league. I think the Vikings and Bengals game is pretty fascinating. Well, I went, they all got playoff implications on the line. Like These are all three important yeah, games. And it goes back to what we said at hour one. How there is locker room dysfunction across the league in certain uh, organizations, Jets, Giants, and uh, and um, one other team that I always keep for. Oh yeah, McDermott's nine eleven Bills, <laughs> and they all won. And I'm like, all right, then I guess fractured locker rooms equals uh, you know winning on the field. So I see Big Ben Roethlisberger come out this week and say, oh the Steelers. All the players there, they've totally lost the culture. And as soon as he said that, I'm like, Steelers money line. <laughs> Steelers money line against the Colts. And I kid you not, Stephen, as I said that, 
uh, the line moved from two and a half down to one and a half. So people are playing the Steelers in this game. What do you think about that one in particular? Steelers against uh, Gardner Minshew. Yeah, I mean that's uh, you know there's worse there's worse line or uh, worse takes to have than you know. Ben Roethlisberger calls you out, and then you, you think the Steelers are going to capitalize on that. There's, de- there's definitely worse angles than that, but no, I mean, I, you look at all these games, right? Like Pittsburgh is seven and six right now; they're in the sixth spot. Indianapolis seven and six in the seventh spot. Like these are two potential playoff teams, and whoever wins this game has a much clearer path going forward. Man, I, I, I love Mike Tomlin as a coach, but that offense, you know, even after the after firing Matt Canada. Uh, being their quarterback, yeah. you know, Trubisky's out there now. I just I cannot trust anything that the Steelers are doing offensively. But I don't, you know, I don't trust Carter Minshew either. But uh, and now Jonathan Taylor's already been ruled out of that game. It's gonna be Zach Moss in the backfield. I I would lean Steelers just because I think Tomlin. You know, I'm gonna go with him as a better coach. But uh, don't feel good about it. I can tell you that much, Judah. Well, I really like Shane Steichen. I think you know Jimmy Ursay nailed that hire. Um, say what you will about Jimmy Ballgame, but I, I think Shane Steichen's great. Um, I think he's going to be very, very good as a head coach. Now, I thought the same thing about Brandon Staley, and obviously he got fired today, and for good reason. Like, that just was not working out. But the GM has also gone there. Uh, but what the Colts have, I, it's a shocker that they're 7-6. and six. Like, They were not supposed to compete, even if Anthony Richardson was healthy this year. He wasn't healthy, and Gardner's done a very, very serviceable job. Um, you know, they fought in that first half with Cincinnati last week and now both Bengals and Colts in action tomorrow in different games. And I don't know. I've got some more thoughts on that. Plus the five at five coming up next. Hope you all are doing beautifully today. Friday, final hour Friday. You can call in. It's the happy hour. John likes to say John Catano out today. So Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn with you. 503 417 it is the happy hour. We'll do the uh, the five at five coming up. Also take some more of your phone calls. Look at that NFL schedule coming up with a triple header tomorrow. Let's go. Bunch of games Sunday. And, of course, the Seahawks and Eagles to cap it off on Monday Night Football next week that I am just jacked up about, even though my team has lost one, two, three, four in a row now. <laughs> we'll be back. I like Seattle to beat Philly on Monday. I'm trying to manifest it. That's why I'm saying it that way, Stephen. Is it uh, a little ambitious? Seahawks Monday Night Football against the Eagles? No. All give, right. Give me, the, give me the Hawks. Come on. Where is that 12s? line? Give me the 12s all day. I, I think I think the Seahawks, you know, you talked about that stretch the Seahawks are on. It was a four-game stretch, and it was br- absolutely brutal. You thought they'd get two wins. They've been close in a few, but they've got no wins to show for it. I, th- I think they can get this one. Against Philly, who uh, has come back down to earth a little bit at those two straight losses for them. They're a little bit banged up. I think Jalen's got a little bit of a knee thing going on. Can't be offsides on the tush push anymore. Seattle defense has been uh, on the struggle bus lately, but I do think that uh, they'll show up. They'll fight. I think Pete Carroll's got them challenged. I don't think losing five in a row. It's hard for me to wrap my head around that, even though it's very much possible. Philly is a minus three favorite. So we'll talk about that game a little bit more on Monday's show of next week as we get closer to the holiday season. Um, but, man, I'm just so fired up for these for these NFL games. Talked a little bit about the triple header uh, in our final uh, segment of the previous hour. Talking a little Steelers-Colts. That Vikings-Bengals game, I'm going to approach it the same way I did the Raiders-Chargers game. I have no idea who's going to win. 
You've got Jake Browning, Nick Mullins as the QB battle. Obviously, Browning's been better than we thought. Um, obviously, in this market, we know Jake pretty well with his uh, days at UW. Is he still the winningest all-time QB with the with the Huskies? I think he is. Um, but his NFL career, obviously, he's been a backup. But he's played really, really well. I, I was on the over. I thought that they would score in the Jaguars game. And it went way over, and the Bengals did score. Um, I really like what Zach Taylor and uh, Brian Callahan do on offense with the Bengals. Um, Joe Mixon doing a lot of good things. Chase Evans, that running back, doing a lot of good things. He still got an incredible athletes at the skill positions with Jamar Chase in particular, uh, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Uh, Higgins and Boyd, they they got some cases of the dropsies every now and then, but you still got Jamar Chase. Hey, but on the other side of the ball, it's one of the D coordinators I've got the most respect for, and Brian Flores. That guy, man, that guy just puts uh, the fear of God into some of these quarterbacks. He did against Aiden O'Connell, pitched a shutout. He's got guys named Ivan Pace Jr. Who the hell is that? Undrafted, middle linebacker, making plays all over the field for the Vikings. Oh, and by the by, who's playing next to him at linebacker? Troy Dye, making plays. The former Duck. Like Brian Flores, and he was the defensive coordinator um, in Miami. I guess the head coach in Miami, right, for a hot minute. I was so excited about him working with Javon Holland because I just thought, man, this guy... He is going to just turn Javon Holland into this into a star. And he got him on the path to stardom. And obviously what went down Miami went down. I thought it was a hard luck firing because I really liked what he was building down there. Clearly, they, uh, they've got it on the right track with Mike McDaniel. But I'm really glad to see Flores coming back up into prominence as a D.C. with the Vikings, who were terrible on defense last year. It's one of the reasons they lost their playoff game, even though it's crazy they were in the playoffs in the first place. But now... They're seven and six. The Vikings are seven and six and fighting for their playoff lives. And they're on to their at least their third quarterback of the year, right, Steven? I mean, it's been Kirkers and then it's been Dobbsies. And now they're Jaron Hall was in there for a second. Jaron Hall was in there for a hot minute. Shout out BYU. And now it's on to uh Nikki Moles. I mean, that's four QBs. And this team's in the playoff one. It's crazy. The NFL has been wild this year, especially with the quarterback situations everywhere, but I mean, it's what again. You're right. It's one of these things where it's uh, we don't know what to expect, and any like legitimately anything could happen in this game. So wild outcomes may not be the worst bets if you're looking to go for some long shots. So I'm betting the defense or special teams to score both teams, just like I did Chargers Raiders, and the Raiders scored twice on defense. So I, I, I did I not tell you that Jack Jones was going to have a pick six? You you actually did call that. You did tell me that. No, I didn't think it would happen that way. That was sick. But uh, he did have a pick six, and uh, they also had a fumble recovery for a touchdown. The Chargers, I don't know if you ended up watching the game, Stephen, but uh, oh, you at the Blazer game. But I was watching the game. The Chargers, I kid you not, had a punt return touchdown. (laughs) Called back for holding on the punter. Mm. Our guy Stone Smart, the third string tight end, held the punter, and he didn't have to. And if if he didn't hold the punter, I was gonna cash both both of my special team touchdown tickets for the Chargers and the Raiders. Old Stoner over there. Uh, stoner. Uh, there's there's some work to be done with the Chargers, that's for sure. But so I don't know who's gonna win that Vikings Bengals game, but I'm gonna bet 
there to be a defensive or special team score on both sides and hope for the best on that. Love it. Let's do the five and five. Five biggest things you need to know. The five and five. Numero uno, Steven, what you got? Well, speaking of that Chargers uh, disaster last night, they uh, made some choices and decisions after the game. Brandon Staley fired as the coach. Tom Telesco out as general manager. For- Number one. Of course, Chargers, Chargers five and nine on the season. They lose to the Raiders last night. Justin Herbert out for the season. Um, looks like the Chargers are going to go in a whole new direction. I'm excited to see what direction that is. Is Justin Herbert part of the future? I think probably so. But it also wouldn't surprise me if you know a new GM comes in and says, "Look, I don't want to be locked into this big time contract to a guy who we look at his record, pretty average, hasn't won a playoff game." Wouldn't surprise me either way. But uh, Chargers. I think you could get you go either way. You can get a really good, experienced veteran coach, or you can get a really good young coach because that's a there's a lot of good things that are happening over in LA with the Chargers. A lot of upside there. And the two coaches being floated out there, at least that I've seen most visibly, has been Bill Belichick. That would be the one category of veteran coach, and Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator with the Lions, who I'm very high on, and he would fit the other category of young, up and coming head coach. Um, I would do Ben Johnson. <laughs> That's just me. Well, would you keep Herbie then? Yeah, for sure. I would definitely keep Herbie. Um, I think, oh, look, people think that Justin Herbert being good is some kind of like uh, outlandish take now because, you know, oh, he's 30 and 32. Oh, okay. Okay. So an overall record is immediately indicative of what kind of quarterback you are and, and will be going forward. Um the playoff game is the low point, I think. This is also a low point, having your head coach get fired. But this could be his third head coach and another offensive coordinator. Do you think they could just go go hire Marcus Arroyo? But at some point... Give him, a, give him a, somebody he's familiar with. But at some point, is there blame on the quarterback for not winning enough games and not being good enough to keep a head coach? Is it all in the head coach? Do we always blame the coach for everything? Or is it sometimes well, on the players? Well, as you know, I mean... It depends on the situation. You're talking about a head coach that was a defensive guy, right? He constructed one of the great defenses in the COVID Rams 2020. Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, yes, but that Rams defense was doing things to people that was just not right. It it was not legal. Um, And they ultimately totally pantsed the Seahawks in the wildcard game, uh, that three versus six game in the 2020 wildcard Brandon Staley is a cancer survivor, Vic Fangio disciple, came up through the D3 ranks. I think he's still got he's still going to be a really good D coordinator, but he probably should have given up play calling and DC duties to somebody else. It's really really hard to control everything. Not even Belichick calls his own defense, obviously, anymore. That's Steve Belichick and and uh, Gerard Mayo do that in New England now. But it's really, really hard to be in control. And Staley, you know, all the fourth down decisions and all that, like, that's tough. He had a he had a hand in the offense as well. He was just stretched too thin, Brandon Staley was. Not only that, they overspent for guys that gave them limited production because they were never healthy. And uh, Joey Bosa, Derwin James has had his own issues. Khalil Mack has remained a monster, but J.C. Jackson getting him from New England and then paying him a crap ton of money for him to do really nothing and tear his ACL along the way 
and then sit on his ass and ask for his way out back to New England where he's still throwing a stink. These are the things that get you fired. And in the case of Staley and, of course, GM Tom Telesco, Exhibit A, going forward, don't trade Justin Herbert. Do me a favor, don't trade Justin Herbert. It's the one but thing you, you did get, well. You better get this head coach right. <laughs> you better get this head coach right. And it's probably going to be a two-year fix because you've got some cap stuff coming up. That's gonna be uh, that's gonna be hard to justify. You got to move on probably from Bosa, um, Mike Williams, these type of expensive guys that are limited on the field because of health. Got to start moving on from some of these guys in order to get below the cap. And Herbie's big number is obviously gonna keep getting bigger. You brought up something interesting though. Number one pick, and you know who has control of the number one pick this year? The Chicago Bears via Carolina, but it's the Bears pick. Do they say, hey, maybe Herbie is the guy in Chicago and we would trade Justin Fields for draft capital and we would trade Herbie for the first overall pick and, and you know, just call it good. Or trade the fifth overall pick or their natural selection, uh, Charles Darwin. I mean, there to, are because there are questions of how <laughs> big is next Cam- quarterback. How big is Caleb Williams? Does he fit in the system? I mean, you look at Herbie. Yeah. Big, strong. That, that that's arm a is, Chicago arm. That's right a Chicago there. arm. So something to think about. That's all. Something to think about. All right, moving on. Number three. Well, number two. Sorry about that. Uh, the Washington State Supreme Court, they said they will not <laughs> review the decision that was granted to control the Pac-12 board to Oregon State and Washington State. So Oregon State Washington State getting all the monies. They get it all. Uh, a joint statement between Oregon State President Giotti Murphy and Washington State President Kirk Schultz lauded the court's decision, quote, we are pleased with the Washington Supreme Court's decision today. We look forward to continuing our work of charting a path forward for the conference that is in the best interest of student athletes and our wider university communities, end quote. So the Beavs getting a dub today in the courts. Really excited about this. And look, if you're a member of Beaver Nation, it's a good day. It's a really, really good day. How good of a day is it? I think it's it's yet to be determined, but it ensures survival and legitimacy, not just of football, but of all your athletic programs, which is massive. It's huge. And what did um, you say, $50 million? Well, it's $400 million, Four, sorry, 400 million between yeah. the two schools. That's what I meant. At least, I don't know how they divvy it up. The assets and liabilities of the Pac-12 are estimated to be around $400 million. That's the language that I keep seeing everywhere. So the fact that they get governed into that, it's awesome. I don't think it's a one-time deposit of 200 GER or 200 mil into both accounts. But I will say, if there's any way to use a little bit of that 400 mil to get Malik Murphy, I would try to do it. Uh, There's no way. But still, get Malik Murphy. That'd be great. Number three. A little bit of uh, breaking news here Uh, just came out. Washington, University of Washington, they are in the college football playoff, but they got their quarterback for next season. Michael Penix Jr. will be out. Will Rogers, Mississippi State quarterback in the transfer portal, he has committed to Washington. Uh, he will be the quarterback next season for the Huskies. Rogers is the number two quarterback in SEC history in passing yards, so looks like Washington has their guy for next season. And then more college football news. Damian Martinez for the Beavs, another dub. He's cleared to play in the Sun Bowl. Of course, Martinez was suspended on November 30th day after being arrested in Corvallis on suspicion of driving under the influence of intoxicants. 
but the Benton County District Attorney chose not to file charges. So Scott Barnes, the AD, said, quote, due to a district attorney's decision not to file charges for DUII or similar offenses against David Martinez, he will be allowed to participate in the upcoming bowl game, end quote. So a little big news there for uh, one of the new Big Ten teams in Washington, getting their quarterback, Will Rogers. And, of course, Oregon State get the win in the courts and now get the win on the field with Martinez. Beavs taking on Notre Dame December 29th. Sun Bowl, Notre Dame, they're down to a six-point favorite now. Hmm. Is uh, Estimate playing? He is not. He has opted out as well. Hmm. That was official today. Well, we'll see. I, I have a hard time thinking, you know, Notre Dame is going to show up and be um, unmotivated, but without your QB and RB, you know? I'll have to dig into it more. It was going to be a blind Notre Dame pick for me, but now it's not. I think Oregon State definitely has a shot, and uh, they want to get off on the right foot. The one thing is it's, you know, it's not really the start of the Trent Bray era because he's not coaching in this game. Uh, the other thing is UW getting Will Rogers. That's I think they're in the same boat with Oregon. You know, it's going to be transfer portal city, and by the way, it's good that it's that way for UW because you've got an offensive-minded head coach that you want to stay there and not go down to USC or wherever the heck he, he I, I might be looking to. I tell you what, to. any quarterback that goes to the University of Washington to transfer there, I'm going to think they're going to be awesome because of Kalen DeBoer. Yeah. doesn't matter who it is. And I Grub, think they're going to be. Grubster. That too. Grub and DeBoer, like, I have so much trust in those guys that I think anybody that goes there, they see that play and they're like, yeah, we can make him really good. And so I think, you know, obviously great for Washington to get – Will Rogers in there. The other side of it is, was it just a DeBoer, Michael Penix thing, right? Because that's his guy. It could be. You know, we'll see. That's They're going to be an intriguing team going forward, too. I think they're going to be overlooked a little bit just because they're losing Penix. They'll lose a yeah. Dunze. Yeah. They'll be fine. Interesting. DeBoer. I need to think about that Give a little bit Give me DeBoer all day. Yeah. Number four. DeBoer for four. Yeah, they're going to be, that's going to be interesting. Isn't that going to be the Thanksgiving game now? It's got to be, right? With Oregon? Yeah. Should be. Uh, number four, of course, Shohei Otani, $700 million. I, just, I still can't get over that number. Uh, Otani deferred $680 million of that deal, and the Dodgers putting good use of that money already. Tyler Glasnow, who they got in a trade from the Tampa Bay Rays, him and Manuel Margot, they had to re-sign Tyler Glasnow in the trade. He signs a new contract, five years, $135 million, Judy Newby. Now for another pitcher who's probably, what, their third or fourth best pitcher in class now, <laughs> who is awesome. Uh, you know, really good player for the Rays last couple seasons. Has had trouble staying healthy as well. But this isn't it for the Dodgers. The Dodgers could be in on even more players, and they have the money. They won't go over the luxury tax because of it. Uh, Jeff Passan talks about this. The Dodgers, you know, the deferred money is going to help them with Glasnow, but it could also help them out in getting Shohei Otani's teammate for the Japanese World Baseball Classic, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Here's Jeff Passon talking about how much money he may get now with everyone in in interested in him. The biggest addition would be Yoshinobu Yamamoto, the right-hander from Japan, Shohei Otani's teammate in the World Baseball Classic, who is part of a frenzied free agent bidding right now. Yamamoto came into the winter with teams thinking he was going to cost, you know, $175 to $200 million. Well, when you have the Yankees, and the Mets, 
and the Phillies and the Dodgers and the Red Sox all in on a guy not to mention the Blue Jays and the Cubs have been in as well when you have all these big money teams high revenue teams the price is bound to go up and there's belief in the industry now that Yamamoto's cost is going to wind up being around 300 million dollars so Shohei, seven hundred million. Tyler Glasnow just gets a hundred and thirty million dollars, and then uh, you get Yamamoto, just another three hundred mil. Just throw it on, throw it on the contract. See what happens, man. I tell you what, the more time that goes by with this deferred contract thing, I hate it, and I hate the Dodgers, and I'm going to be rooting against them. I, I just don't like what this is turning into. Is that over a billion dollars combined? Well, yeah, it'd be if Yamamoto gets three hundred and Otani seven hundred. That's a billion. And then Glasnow. It's over 1.1 billion. Like I just, oh my I just, gosh! I understand that they have that the money. That is the most expensive divisional round team out there. <laughs> and maybe it's because I'm a Blazer fan, small market. But man, I just, I love a small market story. I hate these teams that just can go out and give out a billion dollars to two players. Boy, I tell you what, I, I got to go to Dodger Stadium a few years ago, and uh, so that was that was we were talking bucket lists. That was on there for Dodgers Giants. It's going to be so crazy now, Dodger games, and getting in and out of that parking lot. And, you know, L.A. traffic is already crap to begin with. But um, it, it's really exciting. I do think ah, I'm with you with the small markets, but would you have been a little disappointed if it was the Blue Jays getting Shohei? Because I'll be honest, I saw Toronto. I saw all that wacky reporting over the weekend with Toronto, and I was like, really? It's like, I that's not great for baseball if he goes to Toronto, at least for the Dodgers. And look, I'm a Cardinal fan primarily, and I I root for the Giants as well on the side. That's kind of my side piece baseball team, if you will. So I'm not a Dodger fan by any any stretch of the imagination. But I do, as a baseball fan, I do get excited about Shohei with the Dodgers and bringing a bunch of his boys with them. Like it makes them really really interesting, Stephen, because part of it is they have a history. COVID season notwithstanding of falling on their face in the postseason. And is that going to, if like, if they keep falling on their face in the postseason with a super team, this, cause that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a super team. If they keep falling on their face in the postseason as a super team, I think that's, you know, pretty that's, hilarious. It's pretty funny. That's pretty great. And I like Dave Roberts. But number be, five. That'd be pretty funny. Was that five already? No, this is number five. Uh, Cam Newton, he got a little backlash for calling Brock Purdy to uh, Dak, a couple of the guys, a uh, game manager. Now, Newton came out on Twitter today in a video, kind of backed up his comments, but kind of went away from him. He said, uh, game manager is not a negative connotation. Cam, what do you mean by a game manager? My definition of that managing player is a player who has the ability to make the right play at the right time, protect the football at all costs. Game changer, game manager is not something where I'm saying this person is not physically capable of making some great plays. I'm not saying that, or I'm not saying that they're not good players. And quote, that's what Cam says. So kind of backing off, I yeah. feel like what he was going with. No, you can definitely hear the reverse beep going. And I feel like uh, <laughs> probably the right choice, as I think he was completely, completely wrong with uh, a couple of those guys that he said for game managers. Now, I agree, game managing is not a negative connotation. I think that is a skill that you can have. Uh, when you're not the most skilled quarterback. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, obviously, not everyone is him. Not everyone's Aaron Rodgers. No one has that arm. But Brock Purdy, Tua, Dak, all those guys are really good quarterbacks, and I think that they would fit in a lot of systems. It's not just that one system that they would fit in. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, saying somebody's a game manager, it's just uh, it's great for talk radio like we're doing because it just conjures up 
Trent Dilfer winning Super Bowls and Brad Johnson and all these Joe guys Flacco. clearly limited. And elite? even even Flac- Joe Flacco elite. Is he elite? Trust me. Like, there are a couple of things that make me really nostalgic for my childhood. One is like watching Charlie Brown Christmas. The other is having the Joe Flacco elite debate. Just makes me think of 2012, 2013. Well, he he's still playing at 38 <laughs> and winning ball games, throwing for 300 yards. If that's not elite, what I is? don't know what is. Come on, Joey ball games, the Flaxster, um, the game manager thing. It's just so funny to me. It's like, it, can there be room for like different flavors of quarterback in the league? You know. I think you don't have to be a genius to know that Dak Prescott and Brock Purdy have different skill sets. Well, I okay? think I think the and they're asked to do. You can watch watch two snaps of NFL football, and just observe, and tell me what you observe Dak Prescott doing, and tell me what you observe Brock Purdy doing. It's two different games that they're playing. Dak is asked to read everything at the line of scrimmage. Brock is told what to do and don't mess it up. But and if, he does a good job not messing it up. It's great. But, isn't but the it's question clearly, really it's not this, even the same position that they're playing. Isn't just the question this, Judah? Like, we look at Patrick Mahomes and you can build a team and throw anybody out there. The Chiefs have terrible receivers, yet they're still one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl. You throw Aaron Rodgers on the Jets, they are a Super Bowl contender. Those guys have the skills. I think when we say game managers, like, yeah, they're good, but you got to have really good players around them as well. They can't just like take an average Joe and make them elite. I think you yeah. look at Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, he can take Marcus Valdez Scantling and make him really good, even though he drops passes. You make Aaron <laughs> Rodgers, make Randall Cobb a ton of money. You don't think there's anybody on the 49ers who is better because Brock Purdy's their quarterback? No. I agree. I don't. But they are better. Because a certain somebody is their head head coach and play caller. But I also think that they're better when Brock Purdy's their quarterback than they were with Jimmy Garoppolo because Correct. Brock Purdy could make more plays than Jimmy Garoppolo. Even though we do forget that the Niner offense was still very, very good with Jimmy Garoppolo. They were one throw away. What? They didn't overthrow a pass. They won the Super the Bowl. Big, the bigger difference of Garoppolo v. Purdy is one of them had Christian McCaffrey and one of them didn't. That's the difference. One of them had a mature Brandon Ayuk and one of them had a rookie. That's the difference. Let's figure this out. It's not hard. Brock Purdy and Jimmy Garoppolo, they're not like worlds apart of different starting quarterbacks. But Purdy can squeeze a little bit more juice out of more lemons than Jimmy can because he's a little bit more mobile, a little bit more consistent, definitely healthier, and he's he's got, you know, Christian McCaffrey in his backfield where James Garoppolo did not. I mean, it's not rocket science. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's not like I'm a Seahawks fan or anything, but honestly, seriously. Um, Gino, game manager or not? So the thing with game manager is like people say, oh, he's a game manager because that's his, their, that's his primary skill set is managing the game. But Dak and Patrick and Josh, they're all game managers and they do a good job at it. It's just their C-level skill, their, their D-level skill. As opposed to like throwing outside the numbers, reading defenses, being able to convert in the red zone, taking care of the football. That's skill set one, two, three, four. Managing the game is skill set five. It's just that they've got the four other more important, you know, aspects of playing the position down. 
Whereas a guy like Brock Purdy, I think he's underrated in the primary skill sets of playing quarterback. But he also has an elevated sense of managing the game because that's more important to his job. It's more important to his job to be able to manage the game. And by that, it's just good decision-making. Get the ball out on time and don't turn it over. Like, it's a simple game. And he's doing a great job of executing a simple game. He is no way in hell the MVP of the league. No way in hell. We got to slow that down. But now I'm buying into uh, first take and all that good good stuff. But you got me worked up. I'd felt this down deep for some time. As for Geno, he is not a great game manager. Trust me. You'll see him, you know, third down from the 35. You're in field goal range, and he'll take a 15-yard sack for no reason. Like, that's not being a good game manager. Look at Detroit, week two. Third down, they're, you know, third and two. He gets rushed out of the pocket. He literally runs backwards to his own goal line and gets sacked with intentional grounding. So he avoids the sack, but he gets an intentional grounding like the five-yard line. Sets up Detroit with insane field position. That is not being a good game manager. But what I do, I love Gino. He will rip the football down the field. He will stay in that pocket and he will rip some really high degree of difficulty throws. And it is such a fun roller coaster to be on. Oh, just put it into my veins. Everybody's like, Drew Locke this, Drew Locke that. I'm like, dude, Drew Locke doesn't hold a jock strap to Gino when it comes to throwing the ball down the field. And I like that in my QB. I need some deep shots. And look at the Dallas game. Some really tough throws. And Gino's just ripping them. I love that in my QB. Yeah. Is there a limit on it? For sure. Is there a ceiling? Yeah. Are we going to go to the playoffs? Probably not. Definitely not win a playoff game. But it's a way more fun ride to be on than having Drew Locke be the quarterback. I can guarantee you that. 503 forward 775 Free five minutes of some Seahawk and Niner talk right there. <laughs> and Steve, thanks for the five and five, by the way, Steven. Appreciate that. Uh, we'll dig into some more uh, Blazers and look at the NFL weekend coming up as well on the BFT. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano. We're talking piping hot, crispy fries. We're talking icy cold, frosty pints. We're talking killer burgers, hefty, made to order, meaty, and bacony behemoths. Are you picking up what we're putting down? Voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burgers 10 Rad Burger Builds will send your taste buds on an epic journey. Get a burger, fries, and a beer for just 14 bucks during Killer Burgers Crazy Hour every weekday, 2 to 5 p.m. Killer Burgers, the burger your mama warned you about. Red Tail Golf Center's store-wide holiday sale is going on now with up to 50% off all your holiday golfing needs, plus a 10% bonus on gift cards. Red Tail Golf Center, where we guarantee the lowest holiday prices. Visit us at GolfRedTail.com. CCB 206844. You know what tough work looks like. So does the crew at High Caliber Millwrights. They understand tough and get your job done right the first time. High Caliber, a reputation you can trust. 360-984-6669. The Dan Patrick Show. Alabama is a draw. Nick Saban, commercials, success, him in the playoffs. Uh, Harbaugh, I don't think Michigan's a great team. I mean, they beat an overrated Penn State team. They, you know, held on to beat Ohio State. If you look at the teams they play in the Big Ten, those teams are terrible. I don't know how good Michigan is. Dan Patrick, weekdays 6 to 9 a.m., 7.50 The Game, and 750thegame.com. Gresham Toyota, your gateway to adventure. It's your gateway to adventure. It's time for a new adventure in a new vehicle. 
At Gresham Toyota, we offer the Swickard price promise, and we stand behind it. If you buy a new Toyota car, truck, or SUV from us, we promise that if you find the identical vehicle for a lower price at a local dealer, we will either match the price or buy the vehicle back. In other words, you can buy from Gresham Toyota and have total confidence that you are getting the best deal around. Some details apply, so come in to Gresham Toyota today and learn more. Visit GreshamToyota.com. Gresham Toyota is a proud member of the Swickard Auto Group. Gresham Toyota, your gateway to adventure. It's your gateway to adventure. It's your gateway to adventure. Hey, it's John Canzano here for First Call Heating and Cooling. They're the heating experts and our go-to when it comes to the comfort of our home. You can find First Call Heating and Cooling online at firstcallheat.com, and they should be your first call whether you want to install a new system or service your existing system. We've used them for years. We couldn't be happier. Don't get caught in the cold this winter. FirstCallHeat.com. That's FirstCallHeat.com. CCB number 238-967. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Hey guys, did you know there's a generic form of Viagra that works just the same but is 95% cheaper and you can get it online? Go to hymns.com slash joy. Through hymns, you'll get a free medical consultation, discreet shipping if prescribed, and the process is 100% online. To start your free online visit, go to hymns.com slash joy. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash J-O-Y. What's holding you back from learning the language you've always wanted to know? Too hard. Takes too long. Not with Babbel. Babbel's lessons take just 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes isn't long. Nope. And they're fun. So you don't realize you're learning a language, but you are. In three weeks, you're able to start having conversations. And Babbel's lessons are built around real life. And with Babbel, it isn't hard. It's, it's perfect. perfect. Start learning a new language today. Go to Babbel.com. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. And Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano. Hope everyone is enjoying their Friday before the uh, last week before Christmas, which is coming up soon. Uh, got a little bit more shopping to do. Stephen, how's your, how's the Santa wish list going for you? Yeah, I got a couple, a uh, couple more things that I need to get done. Uh, but for the most part, I'm pretty good, actually. Are I, you in the holiday spirit? Sure. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard for me, Judy, because my youngest son, Hudson, his birthday is on Christmas. So I have to split it up between like, hey, what do you want for Christmas and what do you want for your birthday? So like, I can't fully go in and like do Christmas, Christmas, Christmas because it's, it's half his birthday, too. And him being four, going to be five. Like he's at that age where like birthdays are important now. Yeah. And, you know, he's excited for a party. So I don't know. Like, yeah, I'm in the Christmas spirit, but I'm also in a birthday spirit as well. Boy, that. There are certain things that I feel like as an adult with a kid, you got to almost intentionally do some things in order to get into the Christmas spirit. I listened to a full album of George Strait Christmas. I'm not a country music guy, 
but I love George Strait Christmas. I don't know what it is. Uh, I think my Grammy may have got me a George Strait Christmas album when I was young, and I, I know all those songs. So that gets me in the mood. Um, Charlie Brown Christmas gets me in the mood, a little Vince Guaraldi, and um, Raffi. I've been singing Raffi Christmas with my uh, with my girl. That's and deep cut, Raffi. Raffi is the deepest of cuts. Baby Beluga. Love Baby Beluga. There's a Brush Your Teeth song that's been very helpful. Uh, but the Christmas stuff, it's all about Frosty the Snowman. She cannot get enough Frosty the Snowman in her life, which is really, really funny and uh, so adorable. She's a little over two. Um, but singing Frosty, man, that's uh, that's it. So... That's what I try to do to get in the Christmas spirit a little bit. That and watch some NFL football, which we're going to get uh, over this weekend, too, that we'll talk about in our final segment. Um, the Blazers, Stephen, you were at the game last night. They were four-and-a-half-point favorites. It did not work out. Uh, they didn't show up to play. It's hard to criticize them because we ex- expected, like, nothing out of this team this year. But they were favorite for the first time all year. And they showed up and laid an egg. Um, so... That's a little bit disappointing, but I, I got to temper it by just saying, hey, uh, obviously this team can lose. Anything can happen in, in a game involving the Blazers this year, it feels like. They can show up and play and win as a almost double-digit dog if they play hard enough and the team sleeps on them, and then they can come out against a team they're supposed to beat, like the Jazz last night, shorthanded, and kind of not show up. And Chaun- Here's the thing about Chauncey is he, he's gotten his team to play hard this season for the most part. Like There really hasn't been a game besides this one last night where – it just looked for the start. The players weren't into it. And I don't know if you blame Chauncey for that. I don't know if you blame the players. It's a little bit of both because it's on the players as well to say, you know what, this is my job. This is what I'm supposed to do. At minimum, I can play hard. And it just didn't happen. So you got to give Chauncey some credit for the whole season, the entire of the season, to get the team playing hard. It's a learning process. But you're right. It's I don't expect the Blazers to be winning a bunch of ball games, so I can't be fully disappointed that the Blazers lose a game to the Jazz. I can be disappointed that – you know, all you want to see at a minimum is effort, and there was just wasn't a lot of effort. So I'm not too worried about it. I think Chauncey gets it going. I think he gets after him. He got after him in the post game. So I actually think Chauncey Bills might be a decent coach Whoa, at this point. I've breaking changed, news sounder. I've changed my mind on it. I, I, he hasn't fully won me over yet. I think there is a lot there, though, that Chauncey's done so far this season that has shown me, okay, maybe this guy can coach. And we're going to find out, you know, this year and probably next year because they're not going to fire him. They're going to leave him with these young guys, see what they can do. But Chauncey's done pretty good. I like the way the Scoots played the last couple of games. Like I said, last five, he's averaging about 15 points a game, doing a really nice job. Still struggling shooting the basketball. But the Blazers, man, just it's going to be a long season. It's going to be a long season, a lot of losing. But I think there are some positives that you can still build around this team. And it's been a lot of fun so far, the first 20-plus games just last night. Man, you know, to have to go to the game. Well, I didn't have to go to the game. I wanted to go to the game. <laughs> and then it felt like I had to go to the game at the end of it. It was just like, man, this, this is a bad effort. But, I, you know, I don't want to overreact. It's better than watching Raiders Chargers. That's true. I don't want to overreact over just one game. You know, one game of 82 game season. So but. the Scoot thing, like, I think the Russell Westbrook comparisons were pretty natural. And, um, well, he even said that. Visible. Too. And he said as much. Um, But Russell Westbrook also comes with a little bit of a connotation of a type of player, obviously hardworking, energetic, maybe selfish in a certain stance, but can't shoot. And that's kind of been, you know, the, his legacy as a player on the floor, let alone all the off the court stuff. Let's not talk off the court. Cause I'm sure they're different people and whatever. 
But on the court, can you talk me off the ledge? And it's not so much a ledge, but I'm just trying trying to wrap my head around the type of player Scoot Henderson is going to be. And if the Russell Westbrook comparisons, can you draw me a line of where they're fair and where, as Blazers fans that know a lot about what kind of player Russell Westbrook ended up being and, and is, where where that kind of ends with the comparisons where, where Scoot Henderson could be when it's all said and done? Well, honestly, Judah, I mean, if, if he turned out to have a Russell Westbrook type of, type of career, you'd be happy with it. A Hall of Famer, an MVP, like, it wouldn't be bad. So let, let's just get that out there first. Like, I get Well, it. if he won an MVP, but that was a different league. I'm just saying, Russ, like, Russ is going to be a undeniable Hall of Famer. If Scoot Henderson is an undeniable Hall of Famer, you hit on your pick. So, that's true. So I will say that first of all. Now, there are a lot of you know cons in Russell Westbrook's game, uh, but he does a lot of positive things, and I think it's fair to make the comparison between Scoot and Russell because they have a lot of the same abilities, right? Really athletic. They'll dunk the ball. Scoot had a couple of nice dunks last night. Um, they can't really shoot. Russell never really improved on that. I don't know that Scoot will. I think he will. You know, he'll put a lot of work into it, but we'll see what happens later on in his career. So there are some comparisons, but I actually think that Scoot Henderson is a more skilled player than Russell Westbrook at this point. And it's not even that Scoot is overly skilled, but I think Westbrook, and he still is to this to this day, he is an explosive athlete that is just out-athleticizes people and will just use that explosiveness to his advantage. I don't see the explosiveness in Scoot Henderson like you do in Russell Westbrook. Now, the straight-line speed is there, but the quickness side-to-side, the the explosiveness of, you know, jab, step, and then go, he doesn't quite have that yet. He has the transition speed. He has the fast break speed, but he's still working on that half-court quickness. And I don't know that he's going to – he'll never get to the Russell Westbrook level. I don't know that anybody can – but it's just a different type of game, and I think he's going to learn how to you know, make a jump shot, and he's not necessarily going to have to have that explosive speed mm. and explosive aggressiveness and you know acceleration, deceleration to be effective where Westbrook, he needs that in his game. I don't think Scoot's going to have to need it in his game to be successful. That's music to my ears because I agree with you. I think Westbrook's an outlier athletically in the history of sports. <laughs> I mean, there was a time where it was peak LeBron and peak Westbrook yeah. like, athletically, and I think – Westbrook was a better athlete than LeBron James. So given that Scoot's not going to, you know, replicate that one for one athletically, does the compensation come with outside shooting? And we've seen improvement out there, right? I mean, obviously it started slow. A little bit, yeah. I mean, it's still not good. It's, it's still, still not great. The three is still under th- under 30% for the, you know, the last five games. It's 28%. Okay, okay. Like, it's not great. Um, so the shot is definitely not there. He, he's decent, you know, in the mid-range. He can get to the hoop. It remains to be seen. I think that's the one big hurdle that you're going to have with Scoot Henderson is can he become a consistently good shooter? We see it in the NBA. A lot of these guys, they become really good shooters. Uh, That's just going to matter with Scoot a lot more because the speed's going to be there. And everything I'm hearing is, you know, he works hard on the athleticism and the quickness. Like he, he's not just putting in work on the shooting. He's putting in work on the side to side ability. He's actually, he, he understands that he needs to work on it. And he's working on that every day. So, yes, the shooting's going to have to come at some point, but I don't think it's the most egregious thing he needs to work on right now. He needs to actually work on his athleticism, which, as crazy as it sounds, because Scoot, when he thought about it, was, yeah, look at this great athlete coming to the league. I think athleticism is the one thing he's working on right now because that's the biggest thing he needs to work on to be successful early on in his NBA career. Yeah, it's it's like – you know, it's probably part physical, getting the gym, et cetera, you know, all that. But it's also part unlocking what's already there on the court. 
And, like, that unlocking mechanism, I think, is, is coming up for him. So the Blazers got the Mavs and the Warriors on a back-to-back. The Warriors, I had this thought earlier in the show. I wanted to try it on with you. They remind me of a certain NFL team. Do you know what NFL team I'm thinking of? And I'll give you a little bit more of a descriptor as a, as a helpful, you know. What league, what league are you talking? The American Football the Conference. American? Um... I mean, a lot of talent. Bills. We've seen them do it before. We've seen them win at the highest of levels, and yet we're all still surprised when they're not winning at the same clip this year. The Chiefs? Yes. I I think, you know, there's some stylistic similarities, if you go with me there, with Mahomes and Curry, some trick shot abilities, et cetera, at their respective positions, respective influences on the game. But is there a little Chiefs in the Warriors? Yeah, I can get behind you know, that. I, can, I the, feel like the, the I'm cow- cowherd right now or Nick Wright. <laughs> the difference would be is that the uh, the Warriors have the same core. Where the I guess the Chiefs have Kelsey and Mahomes. Yeah, you can go read read Mahomes, Kelsey, Chris Jones, same core. Yeah, but it, whereas it's it, Steve, but the receivers Steph, are all different. Clay and Dre. The receivers are Ed Looney. The the receivers are all different though. If you said if they traded what if they traded Clay would that be the equivalent of trading Tyreek a few years ago? <laughs> Obviously Clay is not you know what he once was. But if you traded Clay a few years ago, wasn't that literally the debate well, for the de- Bob Myers and Mike Dunleavy Jr. Was do you trade Clay for Kevin Love? Yeah, that was the debate before they actually won the title. Right, was, you gotta you gotta break up these those two. You need someone else. So it's imperfect because the Chiefs did win a title with Tyreek, but then they traded him and won again. But then this yeah, year, it, it, twenty good, games post Tyreek trade, you're seeing some limitations on him. I, I think it's good. I I do think that Patrick Mahomes is at this point he's better than the Steph Curry is, which is crazy. It would sound like I think Patrick Mahomes just is, can carry a team more than Steph Curry can. I, I, and what, that's why. And part of me is like I haven't been paying attention to a lot of regular season NBA. But Steph's start, awesome. Steph's I'm, been awesome. I'm starting team. to bet it a little bit more. And when you do that especially in-game, you always tell yourself the Warriors are going to figure it out. They're going to pull it out. They beat the Blazers a few nights ago, but before that, they lost to the Clippers by one. They lost to the Thunder in OT because Draymond fouled Chet Holmgren on a three. They lost to the Suns by three, and they lose to the Clippers by eight. And in my head, I'm doing the Patrick Mahomes effect. He's going to figure it out in Green Bay. He's going to figure it out against the Bills. And they keep coming up short. Steph's going to find a way to get his team over the hump. Is that unfair at this point? No. I mean, I think it's a good comparison there. But, but I mean, is yeah. that an unfair hope no, for Steph it's not. It's or not. Patrick no, to be because like, you've got to get your team over the hump. Like, you have to be the one to do it. Because Clay ain't there, ain't who he is anymore. Tyreek's gone and your receivers are limited. It's tough. I don't, I don't know, Judah. Like, they, it's such a team. Both are such a team game. Right, like Mahomes can only so going forward. From like that. Mahomes can't catch the ball. Like, you know, like he can only make perfect throws and then have these guys drop it, and then we can't blame Mahomes. Like Steph can only make so many shots, and he's still he can score thirty five a night, but his teammates have to score some. Like, yeah, there is a there is a point where like yeah, maybe you'd love a little more leadership or something, but like I, they're one of the best leaders in all the game. Like I can't I can't fault them. They've played really well both this season. Both those guys said no. Like I can't put more on those guys. But I just now. But I don't know. Like I got to stop betting. Betting them. You know. I got to stop that. 
but I just don't know what the expectations this season are going forward for them. Well, the Warriors, I think, they still think they're a championship contender. You do. They think that. They think that, yeah. I don't think that. They have to make a move or two to get there. As constructed, they are not a contender, but I think that they believe that they are, and they can make another move. 503-417-7575. We'll wrap up shop on the other side. Junior Newby, Stephen Vaughn, in for John Gonzano on the Bald Face Truth. The Dan Patrick Show. Florida State, you have a legitimate beef, but you're not one of the top four teams in America. Florida State would be an underdog to everybody. You don't have your quarterback. He's a wonderful quarterback. I mean, it's sort of like you tune in to watch Friends and Jennifer Aniston isn't there. You're like, okay, it's not the same. I got Ross. I don't have Rachel. Well, Florida State doesn't have their quarterback. Dan Patrick, weekdays 6 to 9 a.m., 750 The Game and 750thegame.com. If you see a low-hanging or down power line, stay at least 50 feet away. That's about the length of a school bus. Then be sure to report it at 503-464-7777. Together, we can keep our community safe. Guys, did you know your testosterone affects everything in your system, including how you feel and perform every day? Right now, Revive Men's Health Portland will check your testosterone for free. Knowing your T levels is the first step in understanding if you have low T. Your testosterone level impacts your energy, libido, sleep, weight, hair loss, mood, and even ED. Maintaining an appropriate T-level can change your whole life. Most men start to see changes in their hormone levels in their 30s. Experience and results matter. So what are you waiting for? Get your T-levels checked today by local, experienced, and trusted men's health experts. They've helped thousands of men since 2011. They're so confident they can help you, they even guarantee it. Call Revive today and schedule your free testosterone test, free exam, and free consultation. Call Revive Men's Health at 503-944-1111. That's 503-944-1111. Or visit revivemenshealth.com. What kind of a holiday gift giver are you? The stop at the corner store on the way to the party kind? Or the thoughtful hunt for the perfect holiday gift kind? Well, if you're the thoughtful one, we've got the perfect gift. Hands-free Skechers slip-ins. Footwear that are so comfortable and so easy, everyone in your family will adore them. Because with Skechers slip-ins, you just step into them and they're on. There's no bending down to the ground and you never have to touch your shoes. Find slip-ins for the whole family at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Hey, you. Yeah, you. This is your dentist. Do me a favor and feel the front of your teeth. How grimy are they? Ugh. It's time for a Crest Pro Health reality checkup. That grime is the buildup of plaque bacteria that can cause cavities in just months. You need to switch to Crest Pro Health. While most toothpaste stop working in minutes, Crest Pro Health's antibacterial fluoride protects for up to 12 hours to stop cavities before they start. So pick some up on the way home. Smile. Crest has you covered. Crest from Toyota, your gateway to adventure. It's time for a new adventure in a new vehicle. At Gresham Toyota, we offer the Swickard Price Promise, and we stand behind it. If you buy a new Toyota car, truck, or SUV from us, we promise that if you find the identical vehicle for a lower price at a local dealer, we will either match the price or buy the vehicle back. In other words, you can buy from Gresham Toyota and have total confidence that you are getting the best deal around. Some details apply, so come in to Gresham Toyota today and learn more. Visit GreshamToyota.com. Gresham Toyota is a proud member of the Swickard Auto Group. 
Have you Googled yourself lately? Are there negative posts from an ex-employee or from a former client? Maybe an outdated news article or sensitive personal information about your family? Search engines don't always get it right. For right or wrong, it's your reputation on the line. That's where Reputation Defender by Norton comes in. One of the most trusted names in online reputation repair. Reputation Defender has been fixing people's search results for over 15 years. Their cutting-edge approaches help you to wipe away unwanted information in your search results. They also promote the good stuff so that it rises to the top, helping you put your best foot forward. Your good name is too valuable to leave to the whims of a Google algorithm. Take control with Reputation Defender. You can start by getting your free Reputation Report Card at reputationdefender.com or call 800-401-6681 to speak to an expert. That's 800-401-6681. Connect to this radio station from all across the country. Stream us anywhere, anytime. Listen to us now on the free iHeartRadio app. Your favorite radio station is just one tap away. Download the free iHeartRadio app and search for this station so you never miss a moment. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Final segment on a Friday here on the Bald Face Truth. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano. You know, big-time college basketball game in Seattle tonight, Stephen. Have you seen this? I didn't uh, I didn't see it until recently. What are we talking about? We got UConn and Gonzaga mm. at Climate Pledge Arena tonight. What's wrong with that? Um, Elite Eight rematch, I believe, from a season ago after that classic Gonzaga-UCLA Sweet 16 game last year um, when UConn went on to win it all. Are you uh, giving a little side-eye to college basketball yet this year? Yeah, you know, I've been uh, just looking at it, just looking at it, you know, looking at it from afar. Uh, you know, college basketball, it's one of those things where, you know, as we get closer to March, you really start digging in more. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm a college basketball lover at heart. So yeah, I yeah, keep a side eye on it. But yeah, it'll be a good game tonight. Uh, Gonzaga, you know, they, they're good this season. I don't know that they're great. This is definitely not one of their better Gonzaga teams. They don't really have like the guy, right? In the last few seasons, they've had like the man that you're really looking forward to go to with, um, why am I blanking on Drew Timmy? On Drew, with yeah. Drew Timmy, like he was the man, he was the guy to go through. They don't really got that guy this year, but you know, when you're up in Seattle, it's gonna be a tough place to play for UConn. And UConn's been a really good team. You know, obviously national champions last season, but that'll be a fun game tonight. Where is Drew Timmy these days? That's a good question. Okay, I was hoping you know. <laughs> I feel like I should know. He did enough. Uh, he's, in the, he's in the G League right now. He is uh, playing for the Wisconsin Herd of the uh, G League. When they come to Child Center, we got to sell that place out. Got to go big. Are they coming? We hope. Wisconsin versus Remix. Heard versus Remix on uh, Fox 12 Plus. He's averaging 9.9 points, 5.5 rebounds a game for the Wisconsin Herd. There should be a name for that. That's almost like, you know, well, it's like three quarters of a triple double. So, halfsies? Yeah. It's a quarter pounder. 
Uh, who do you have in the Myrtle Beach Bowl? I know you've got to play on Georgia Southern versus Ohio. It's the first game of bowl season tomorrow morning. Yeah, you know, give me uh, the Fighting Clay Heltons, the Georgia yeah. Southern. You know, originally I thought Ohio, but, you know, Ohio lost their quarterback, uh, Ruick, I believe is his name. Uh, he entered the transfer portal. He's actually pretty solid, so give me uh, Clay Helton and Georgia Southern. You also got Howard in Florida A&M in the Cricket Celebration Bowl. That's Florida A&M easy. Um, <laughs> uh, Jerry Kill against Jeff Tedford. Jeff that, Tedford. That's an insane matchup. Well, Tedford, is he actually, it's his final game. Is he actually coaching in it because he's oh. done after the year? Give me Jerry Kill. Those guys are fighting hard. The quarterback, Pavia, Diego Pavia, he'll play for the New Mexico State Aggies. Ask me how I know. I don't know, but he, I know that for sure. Pavia will play. He's good. Give me the Aggies. Easy. Aggies are three and a half point favorites over the Bulldogs yeah. in the Isleta New Mexico Bowl. You're welcome. Have a great weekend, everybody. Steven, have a phenomenal weekend. Yeah, you as well, Gio. It's great to see you. Great to host the show with you. We'll run it back again Monday in the lead up to Seahawks Eagles on Monday Night Football. Have a great, great weekend. Enjoy your NFL. Uh, let's hope the Blazers can get at least one dub as well. We'll talk about it all with you Monday on The Bald Face Truth. Steve, Stacy, and their kids lived in a neighborhood probably not far from you. A setback at work suddenly left them without enough money for both food and rent. Emergency benefits and help from friends was too little too late, and kids have to eat. So now they live in one of the homeless encampments you pass every day. That's how a lot of people end up on the street. The best way to alleviate homelessness is to help people keep from having to choose between eating and paying rent. I'm Bess Wills with Gresham Ford, and for more than a dozen years, we've helped snow-cap brave support so that they can